can make it through Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran Donnie. I'm your vice presidential neophyte Frank. And today we're going to be checking out Degrassi Next Generation Season 4, Episode 3, King of Pain. Before we get too far into this episode, quick old content warning. Um, we are going to be talking about homophobia in two instances, uh, kind of probably discussing some internalized homophobia as well as the use of slurs. Um, there's also going to be inevitably some discussions of racism in this as well as um, just like we're probably going to be going pretty hard into classism and how it impacts this episode as well. Um, before we get too far into this episode though, to help us decide who the winner of it is, we have our guest Pierce. Hey Pierce. Hello. How are you doing? How's it going, y'all? I'm doing I'm well. good. I'm good. I've I've been I've been better. I've been worse. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's how it is sometimes. Yeah, I wish it. I wish it was not as hot out, and that I had an air conditioner in my in my room. But oh, besides right. that, pretty pretty okay. Rip. Um, I'm just glad that you're on an episode that isn't an episode that like I hate entirely. So. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, this is, uh, man, this is the first one that I was like, oh, I feel like we'll have more to talk about than, holy shit, this is terrible. Exactly. Um, Uh, But before we get too far into that, would you like to introduce our A plot and our B plot? Sure. So, uh, this episode is called King of Pain, like the police song. Mm -hmm. And, uh, although that wasn't the original title. Uh, the original title was Don't You Want Me, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, um, uh, it, considering it, the A-plot, I think. Yeah. Oh, I guess it kind of does. Anyway, so hmm. the A-plot is Marco is running for class president, or, or yeah, and uh, Alex decides to uh, run against him for seemingly kind of no reason, because she's a, a you know, kind of mean lady uh and uh in the process she decides that she is going to out him to win the election and uh this uh he's already been having some trouble with dylan and he and dylan break up because he won't come out to his family and uh this leads to him sort of being forced to sort of come out to his mom which is interesting Mm -hmm. uh and then uh and Alex backs off of doing what she said she was going to do, and they kind of, you know, make up, and and uh, and and Marco wins and names her the the vice president. And then the B plot is that Emma and Chris have are broken up, but uh, Chris is trying to do that again. And then Liberty's like, well, that's not a thing, so I guess I'll try to you know, like she has got a crush on Chris, so. They, they kind of have a date uh, planned, and then Emma sabotages that um, because, as you mentioned earlier, she's the white devil. <laughs> Emma is very much in the school of, if I can't have it, n- now nobody gets it. <laughs> yeah, that, absolutely. Well, let's kick it off. Let's start talking about the B-plot that we got with this one. So we had the establishment in the first episode that Emma and Chris broke up. Um, and now we are kind of seeing how they are to interact with each other now that they have broken up. So the episode for in the case of the B-plot opens up, we're in kind of like the courtyard area, hallway area, and Emma is playing with her hair. She's kind of trying to give it a little bit of volume. Um, 
gosh, she she's grown up. Like, if you look at her from, like, season one to now, it's just, like... This is the point I texted Donnie. Uh, the role of Emma Nelson will be played by a young Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that was something that, when even when I was younger watching the show, like... I guess all the characters like go through puberty, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, uh, and I guess they're all pretty much exactly the same, exactly the same age, the same ages, the same age as me, same time. So it sort of makes sense. But it, like Emma, I feel like goes from like being like 10 years old in like season one to being like 17 by season four. And you're like, wait a second, what's happening here? No, it's true. There's a couple characters that just, I mean, I guess this is just how, like, puberty works, right? It's like, there's a couple of them that it just slams into them. I feel like Spinner had a similar transformation where just, like, he entirely shifted physically. I don't don't know. Like, in season one, Emma was this gawky preteen. I mean, Gwen kept calling her scrawny girl. Season two... (laughs) Um, season two... Emma was, like, towering over all the boys. Season three, in the first episode, we all remarked, like, she's just, like, nothing but leg. Yeah, she's she's all leg, that kid. And now season four, I feel like she's just kind of evened out. Yeah, she's, like, exactly. Like, she, she's, like, filled in, basically. And, I, like, she just kind of looks not like season one Emma, which was just... Yeah. A baby. Yeah, like, she... That's why I said she looks like a young Taylor Swift, like, she looks very, I'm trying to find, like, I'm trying to find a, a correct term for it, like, she looks like she's been prepackaged, essentially, mm-hmm. like, okay, she looks like her, like, makeup and, like, hair and clothes have been professionally chosen for her now. Yeah, gone are the days of the dolphin pants and the um, like, and like the weird crimped hair pieces. Like the she, the weird rainbow oh, top. Man. Yeah, like she looks pretty polished. I think is more like I feel like her her wardrobe is very polished. Meanwhile, like I feel like Liberty. I totally believe that kid like rolled out of bed, grabbed her outfit, got out the door. Yeah. Like, but that, and that's, like, the difference between their characters, too, though, right? Is that, yeah. like, uh, the thing I understand so much about Emma is, uh, partly because I think I did it when I was in high school, too, is that, like, when you first get to high school, like, you are friends with certain people, but there are, like, other people you want to be friends with, right? Exactly. And I, I kind of saw Emma as, like, like she's a nerd, and and she's kind of awkward, and, and, but... In a way, and I don't, I don't think this is like a perfect observation, but like in a way, she kind of wishes she was more like Paige. Yes. 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 A hundred percent. So, so like, she, as she gets sort of, as she sort of grows up, we sort of start to see her more. Like Paige always kind of did look put, pretty put together because she's like slightly older or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, we see Emma kind of go that route because that's the route she wants to go. Um, that's, like, the person that she's, like, sort of trying to be. And actually, you know, actually, maybe this is a better observation than I gave myself credit for, because I kind of feel like this B-plot, if it was a Paige storyline, it would still kind of make sense. Yeah, I mean, Like, if it was, like... No, go on, sorry. Like, if it was, like, Spinner and uh, Paige and uh, any girl basically, as Liberty, you know, like, it would still, it would be like, all right, yeah, this, it could play out almost exactly the same, right? With or, like, like, 
or Manny switch for Ashley and whatever, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, or, I agree. I agree. Or like the time she went on a date with JT for money. Yeah, like she's not above this stuff. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. She she cares a lot about her social strata, but she is on the more successful end. Whereas Emma, we have seen her struggle with social strata, but not really benefit from it. Yeah, because yeah, she's bad at it. <laughs> yes, very much so. But um, in this case, we see her kind of like trying to like gussy herself up, and Chris is approaching uh, approaches her. Um, they're like talking. He kind of teases her and how girls always are trying to like make their hair bigger. Um, and as they're chatting, Liberty walks over and makes, like, a French cheese type of comment, which I assume is just, like, saying that they're gonna have French together. I, yeah, I have really no idea what is going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who else is... Re- I, th- I, th- who, I thought it was a pun, but it's not. No! Really? Good morning. Yeah. Who else is ready to say Gouda plus Gautier? I'm just like, what? Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> Look, yeah. that's my daughter, and... You know, she's <laughs> trying her best. All right. Um, can, can, can we talk a little bit about Chris in that scene, though? Is he just the worst written character on the show, or is he the worst, like, straight up the worst actor on the show? My extended theory with Chris is that it is difficult to gauge his actual acting ability because I read that he is uncomfortable. Most likely, like, it reads to me like he is uncomfortable with what he is doing as opposed to, like, his actual skill as an actor. I, I, the theory we came up with is at some point, like, Chris got the script. Like, he got, like, hired for the show. He got the script and he's like, really? This is the bullshit you want me to do? <laughs> Well, like, even look at, like, his clothing, because it's, like, they've retired the bucket hats from last season, but even then, he's still wearing that same, like, denim-on-denim, shiny fabric look that he was wearing the promotional materials and everything for season three. I was just thinking, he's, like, isn't he, um, a dancer? Yeah, yeah, he's a dancer. I was just, like, nothing He's supposed to be, like, LL Cool J, right? That's, like, his aesthetic? Well, I was just thinking, nothing helps you move, like, denim-on-denim-on-denim. Well, like, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like they were working against... Nothing breathes like denim. <laughs> it, it reads a lot to me, like, how... You know how, like, there's a lot... Of, I feel like a lot of these kids, the writers were working with the kids, and, and that's why a lot of the kids were able to kind of shine. Like, I felt like it was more of a collaboration. Meanwhile, it feels like a lot of the kids, particularly kids who are, play, who are not white we're getting forced into certain things and kind of not being able to articulate quite as much as they want wanted to out of their characters. Because while I have not seen anything said by his actor, I know for a fact Hazel's actress has written extensively about this experience and how a lot of things, like, she was getting cut down left and right by the writers. So I always feel apprehensive judging him because I always feel like a lot of it is just, I wouldn't be surprised if that kid was just, under circumstances, he was just like, yo, fuck this. I don't care. Like, you don't care, I don't care. Yeah. Fair. Um, so, Emma makes mention that something happened over the summer. Uh, I guess their their breakup. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it. Yeah, um, me too. Chris is like, do you want to get a shake sometime? And uh, Emma's just like, yeah, sure, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, like, really tense. She doesn't... Her face is just so uncomfortable during this, and you could kind of tell that it 
might be because she doesn't really want to with him. Did, do they ever reveal what happened? Um, are you asking me to spoil stuff? Because no, no, I'm no. not doing that. No, wait, not, not, don't tell me what happened, but do they ever reveal it? I'm not telling you either way, dude. Okay, I'm just going to assume... I'm going to assume there's an animal... Consider what you know about the show. I mean, right. <laughs> it could really go either way. Right. <laughs> Considering the other Canadian show I love, I hope there's an episode where everybody boxes and they just have flashbacks. Sure, Frank. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. You're so right. I, I, on Boxing Day, right? I didn't say it. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said that's what I want to happen. Okay. Okay. Like um, unfinished business. The one of the best episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Oh my god! It always comes back to this. Hey, I have to put up with my sister constantly being like that person was in Mad Men on my other show. So guess what? So you're, you're gonna <laughs> hurt me for your sister's transgressions? Yes. How does that make any sense? <laughs> it's a cycle of violence. Uh, anyway. But next scene that we have with the B-plot, we're at the front of the school. Liberty is walking away, and she's scoping out Chris sitting on a bench. He seems to be, like, listening to his headphones, eating lunch, listening to the music that is playing over the scene. Um, she asks if the seat's taken. He kind of teases her and, like, mishearing what she says. Um, jokes about how she has to, like, pay to sit next to him and everything. But the bonding between them is actually very sincere. And this is where I think another factor we may want to think about with Chris's actor how much of it is that this kid is not a great actor? How much of it is that he has zero chemistry with Emma's actor? Because I actually found him to be quite charming in this scene. Oh, no, yeah, like, he's... I I really dug this. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, I thought it was better. It was. I thought it was better. Oh, um, I'm not... I don't want to music-splain, but Buck65 is apparently actually a rapper. Cool. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Now I understand what the exchange is. I think I just misheard the scene. So he was saying that the music was that... I understand Buck where 65. This... Yes, okay. Because what's, what's funny is I actually... I have a very extensive music library. Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder if I have any Buck 65. I actually do. Nice. He <laughs> was on a compilation. Um, forget for what, though. But yeah, I have a Buck 65 song. I think that's what we'll go out on. Cool. Any relation, any relation to Eiffel sixty-five? <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. Good job. Uh, I respect it. What was it? Oh, I also, Donnie. I really like that you didn't get that as much as Liberty didn't get that. That was perfect. Yeah, I. The thing is, Liberty is my daughter. She's. We clearly. We don't listen to enough music. In our house. <laughs> we don't. Fair. I like, fair. I, like, um, uh, like, they both listen to the music together, which is, you know, such a teen thing to do. Yeah. With your crush. Um, and <laughs> Liberty says a line that's purely Liberty. I've always wanted to broaden my knowledge of popular music. Yeah. Yeah, because she's, <laughs> she's by... Yeah, this is this is a common conversation we have in our household about how we want to get better at popular music. <laughs> I love she it. She really, she really sounds like an awkward robot a lot of the time, <laughs> and it's very funny. It's it's also really sweet, and I think what also like makes me incredibly frustrated witnessing Emma and Chris's relationship is 
with Liberty, she's out of her depth, but she sincerely is invested in Chris's interest. Whereas Emma was so just like, oh, I don't know, he's just different. I don't know. I'm I'm white and I don't know what to do. I guess I'll try and act like something I'm not. Meanwhile, Liberty's just like, I don't know, but like teach me. That sounds fun. Like I want to get to know this thing that you really care about. And it's just like it just is flows so much better even with this kind of like awkward cute little scene between the two of them. And then <laughs> as payment Liberty's like, I'll buy you a falafel. Oh, it's so good. She's like, we can go to a record store. Oh, yeah. I'll buy you a falafel. <laughs> we can go to a... I like that she says, or a CD store, because she realizes that, like, she doesn't know if record stores still exist. <laughs> it's really cute. Um... Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like also that, like, the whole kind of thing, it's like, uh, it, it's basically Archie, right? Like, he's Archie, and they're Betty and Veronica. Because, like, they're going to go out for shakes. It's totally an Archie plot. It was very funny. Hmm. What's your take? Because, like, there's, like, like, there's, like, a weird sort of, like, the, the fact that it's, like, shakes and a record store has, like, a weird retroness to it. But also that it's, like, two girls fighting over a boy. Yeah. Uh, just, just, just rang very Archie to me. I mean, I like Betty and Veronica more than I like Emma. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very hard decision to make i feel like i mean having watched riverdale um, <laughs> with... <laughs> maybe not the best representation of archie comics but... no <laughs> no but it has its moments um oh i like it it's nonsense garbage that's wonderful <laughs> I, I, I'm just, i like it I'm just... it is just very it's just quite different I'm just hoping Liberty and Chris go to a uh, diner that's lit like a club. Oh, God willing. <laughs> um, so the next time we see Chris and Liberty, we're in Armstrong's classroom. They're looking at each other. They're smiling. It's super cute. Liberty's doodling in her notebook. The typical Liberty plus Chris forever in hearts. Once again, Did I either have... of you ever do that? Um, I kept mine a little ambiguous. I did one or two times, like, doodle initials, but I never straight up wrote anybody's name. I don't think I've ever done that. Okay, time to tell the story. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I had a crush on, or, uh, I, I want, okay, so I had this sort of friend group. That occasionally invited me to things. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just, just, like, super desperate to just have somebody to talk to, like, on a... You know, I don't want to tell the story. It's way too dark, and this is a lighthearted episode. I'm just going to say, no, I didn't. Okay. It's, is, is this a lighthearted episode? The B-plot might be... Actually, they're kind, it's kind of dark. Yeah, it is a bit... Alright, screw it. What, oh. Essentially, what happened was... Um, there was this member of the friend group who I was just desperate to find somebody to talk to, like, on a level above what I had. And I was planning to ask her out, and I told this other friend, who nobody decided to tell me, him and the girl were dating. Oh, no. And then it it was like it was basically planned this way. I was going to my locker to get something, and I just get... I just see the girl and another girl talking, and... 
the other girl saying he was planning to ask you out for thir- like Thursday night or Friday night. And that was exactly what my plan was. And the other girl just stared at me as I got my thing, and I just walked away being like, how the fuck did they know? And that was the point. I was just like, I'm never going to tell anyone anything. I'm going to stop having crushes. So. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's rough. That is. That could have been a plot on Degrassi. It really could have been. <laughs> I mean, they these were the same asshole friends who used to, like, write notes essentially write notes and then sign them with my name about how I was questioning my sexuality. Awful. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I was at that time, but, like, I didn't need the world to know that. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, with with friends like those, right? (laughs) Yeah. After a while, I was just like, you know what? It's better off being alone. Right. (laughs) So. Anywho. Anyway. Um, I'll shake that bad feeling off and keep uh, it going. Yeah, let's keep going. But anyway, Liberty is in a daze. Armstrong calls on her, and Emma's, like, trying to get her attention. Um, and when Liberty tries to tries to react, she just... She beefs it. Yeah. I do, I do like this line from Manny. Em, Liberty's losing her math. It must be love. Well, I also love that they pick up a season one thread on that one, and they re- and yeah. Emma reminds Liber- uh, reminds Manny that Liberty has a learning disability. Also, Liberty's response is buck sixty five. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> I love her. Um, but yeah, so like Emma brings up the dyscalculia, discalc- which is like. I thought that was never going to get brought up again. Nope. <laughs> it was also, like, a nasty, kind of, like, low-key, very nasty line to make that's just like, oh, well, Liberty's not good at math because she has a fucking learning disability, as opposed to, like... She just wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, it also, though, goes to show you, like, what's kind of cool. What, what I kind of like about them reminding us of her disability, though, is that, like, she tries really hard to be smart. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, she tries very hard at this and succeeds at it and, like, perseveres through this thing that is a challenge for her. You know, like, it never gets brought up other than this because, like, because generally people just accept that she's very good at everything, like, school-wise, right? Like, yeah. for the most part. So, I don't know. I, it was like a, while it was sort of a nasty comment and Manny is really mean throughout this entire episode, um... Uh, it was like a cool for the for the audience. It was a cool like oh right like this is a thing that she deals with that we are we're not frequently reminded of, but that does add to who Liberty is as a character. That if you had never watched an episode of Degrassi before or had only watched a few, like adds layers to the character or just reminds you of layers. And I I thought that was good. There were like parts of there were parts of the writing where I was like huh okay, you guys are trying to make this um, a little bit more nuanced than maybe it might seem like at the outset. Uh, so. Yeah, no, it's really true. Like, of all of the faults in how the writers handle Liberty, something I will probably always really appreciate in how they handle her is that they reaffirm that she works her ass off. And some, And in this case, it's in the fact that she is in a math class and she is dealing with a learning disability that de- that is actively thwarting her ability to 
succeed in the class. But also, everyone's talking about how she constantly is working towards something. And in the case of this B-plot, it's about how she is actively trying to do something about her feelings toward Chris. Like, she doesn't leave a stone unturned in any aspect of her life. And there's something to be said about how much, like, she works her ass off to be a smart kid, to be a kid in this high school. Like, she is making the most out of her time here at Degrassi. And of all the things that the writers try to make you forget, at least they don't make you forget that piece. Now, whether they, yeah, whether they respect the fact that she works her ass off, debatable. But they don't let you forget that she works her ass off. Yeah. Um, true. I'm sorry? I just said true. I was agreeing. Um, and I do want to say, yes, I agree with you, Pierce. Manny is very mean during this episode, but it is nice to see kind of the old Manny has returned. It's very vintage Manny. She cares about love again. She believes in love again. She seems happy. Yeah, yeah she just... Season three, like, Manny ends in such a deep, dark place. Like, it's just... You can see that maybe, just maybe, things might be getting a little better, but, like, she's admitting that she is fucking miserable. And seeing her in a place where she is actually, like, trying to believe in the idea of people falling in love after she was hurt so badly during season three is strangely encouraging. And so Chris... So the three relationships broke up over the summer. Emma, you know, Emma, Chris... Liberty and Towers, and uh, Kendra, and Toby, farewell, Kendra. Um, G GT and Manny, still going together, so... Yep. I know we give JT a lot of shit, oh, deservedly, <laughs> but, like, maybe dating him helped her get through some of that. I mean, I think there's something to be said there, right? Because it's somebody, you know, uh, in spite of JT's faults, there is more of a lightheartedness to him. And I could see how, like, he's persistent. And maybe he can handle that, harness that persistence for good and kind of give Manny, like, a more optimistic area that she can kind of explore her feelings and be in a more positive space than, like, because, like, think about, like, how many people were actively treating her like shit and making her environment actively miserable. Yeah. It seems like JT, once he kind of got over a lot of his his own prejudices, could potentially be actively making a positive space for her and make her not be persistently feeling like an outcast, persistently feeling like a piece of shit. Yeah. How much of it is that, though, and how much of it, in this case... Uh, is is it, like, her liking being involved in, like, other people's drama? I mean... Because <sighs> I think that goes along a little bit with, like, vintage Manny also, is yeah. that, like, she likes being involved in stuff happening, and on some level, that might be a distraction from how she is feeling, so she, like, gets into it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that read e either. I think... My read is a more optimistic one. <laughs> sure. But I think that's also because I I just really fucking want Manny to get a win sometime soon. Because she had so little to be happy about last season. 
So uh -huh. I'm a little, I don't know. I just want her to have a win. Uh, um, Liberty does not get a win with this one because in the process of her being super disoriented, she drops her, her notebook. Emma, Manny, and her all like kind of clamor to pick it up. And as they're clamoring to do that, Armstrong makes a snide remark and makes and calls Manny up. Manny then grabs the notebook, passes it up to Emma, tosses it on her desk with uh, with uh, Liberty's doodles with Chris's name right on them. And this is why I did not write full names. Even though you probably could narrow down initials. <laughs> maybe just maybe there'll be a little bit of protection. That was the one good thing in my school 300. I was the only Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's talking about Frank Prawn talking about me. Mm. <laughs> um, and like Liberty just looks so upset that she has been caught, and Emma just kind of sits there pursing her lips for an extended period of time before the scene ends. Ugh, agony. So we are back outside. <laughs> yep, Emma is walking. Manny joins her. Um, Manny mentions that she has intel about the fact that Liberty and Chris are going out on a date. Um, and Manny reaffirms to Emma, like, look, Liberty goes for what she fucking wants. Like, you gotta be careful, because, like, she's just gonna go. She's like a rabid wolverine. What the fuck? Da -na 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 -na. <laughs> uh, X-Men reference. Wolverine's Canadian. Oh. <laughs> Oh, boy. It works, it works on so many levels. <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? All things considered, I'd rather Liberty have an adamantium skin, adamantium bones, claws, and a regenerating factor than Logan. I'm sure she'd do a lot better with it. Hmm. That's pretty good, actually. I, I would, uh, somebody, some, some, one of your listeners has to do some fan art, I think. <laughs> I will pay. <laughs> I would love to see Perfect. it. I would compensate people. I'm not opposed to it. So, somebody draw all of the cast of Degrassi as X-Men characters, please. <laughs> Perfect. Who gets who gets Cyclops, though? The worst X-Men. Whoa, not the worst. We're gonna fight. <laughs> yeah. My favorite X-Men. He's not the worst because Professor X is the worst. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Radish is kind of the worst principle. Anywho, um, so now we're back in gym class. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a mm, so Chris is kind of stretching his arms and something or other, and Emma approaches him, um, and the whole entire time, like she's like, "Oh, you have like good form," and he's like, "Don't tease me." And then she's like, I want to get back together. And he's like, once again, don't tease me. Um, and she keeps, like, reaffirming that, like, you know, no, she's serious. And then she's like, hey, like, let's get back. Like, you know, hey, let's, like, go on a date that's conveniently the same fucking time as he and Liberty are supposed to be going out. In fact, let's pointedly walk by Liberty's house four or five times. Right, right. Also, during that scene when they're stretching, are they supposed to be doing something specific? Are they like, or are they just stretching? It's like, I don't know. Because I think that's like part of the problem with some of these scenes is like, they just tell these poor kids like, yeah, here are the lines. And they're like, good, like, I'm sure that, I hope that they were just like, good, 
what good form? What do you mean? You know, you're stretching. Yeah. Why would you say, like, human beings don't talk like this. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it also kind of, I feel like, speaks to, you know how we were talking about how, like, we could have made this a page plot, but and, like, page is uh, somebody who actually benefits from, like, the social strata and how Emma's struggling to do it. I almost read it as this was just her trying really hard to be someone that she's actively not. Mm. And, like, trying Fair. to act like some sort of, like, femme fatale type when in actuality that it's just not fucking her. Also, too, he's a dancer, so wouldn't... Like, first, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, good form. Are they in dance class? Wait, this is gym class. Wait... What the hell's going on? Because if he is a dancer, then he presumably would have good form. Yeah, right. Like, in theory. Maybe. Maybe. If that's what they're doing. Yeah, but who knows. Also, I never had stre stretching time during gym. I don't... What? I did. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, I mean, usually... Yeah, I didn't have that. We didn't have shower time. No. Uh, we didn't have that either, really. Oh, we kind of did, I guess. Because we, we, there were showers. You could shower, but you were really opening yourself up to uh, some abuse if you did that. We, like, I don't think our showers even were active. Like, they were just used as storage. <laughs> um, we never had time, and I remember the year I had Jim's second period. That was a very smelly time for Frank. Oh, no. Oh, no. I had to be on those early morning showers. Oh, <laughs> at no. At home. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, anyway, um, when Emma reveals the, the date proposition, Chris is very torn. Um, he obviously has plans. Um, and then she just reaffirms with him, like, no, like, I mean this. I want to start the year off right. Um, and he says that he'll see what he can do. To make this happen. <sighs> yeah. Ugh. And then we get to, honestly, I kind of like this exchange between Manny and Emma. I really like this exchange, honestly, because we go to the front of the school, um, and Manny is, like, super excited about the fact that Emma, and Emma is trying to reconnect with Chris. She says that she, you know, she has, like, the perfect mini skirt she wants her to borrow during the date and everything. Um, and Emma's like, oh, I don't want Chris back. And Minnie's like, but, like, you love him. You look like you love him. Like, it's in your eyes. Hang on. Before this, um, Emma's like, I don't, like, and I need this skirt. Why? Manny replies, for the whole get, get Chris back thing. I mean, those legs of yours, they're a killer asset. Bless Manny. <laughs> she's just trying to do, she's just trying to do what's best for her friend. Yeah. But it's in just, Manny world, what's best for her friend? <laughs> I still... I st yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. I still feel like this line is just like, okay, that was written by a man. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, like, one of my favorite parts of Booksmart is, like, the um, two leads, uh, like, they're constantly, they'll, like, take a moment to compliment each other, and they're like, how dare you look this beautiful? Like, who gave... Who, who gave you this power? <laughs> like, and I'm just like, at no point do they specifically point out like a body part. Um, <laughs> girls, it depends. There's a way to deliver it. I actually don't hate this because I think that there are some girls who are 
I, I knew some of those girls who, like, read a lot of the, like, you know, a lot of those, like, teen magazines, which have a lot of articles that are like, if you have long legs, you should wear mini skirts. If you have, like, wide shoulders, you should wear this type of cut. And I could see Manny as the type to read those and then be able to kind of spit it back out. Yeah. Like, I knew a girl when I was, when I was a wee one who once in the middle of a sleepover, like, pointed at all of us and told us what color highlights we should get based off of our <laughs> skin tone and our hair. I apparently should have gotten honey highlights. Is that when you just, like, pour honey into your hair? Oh, yeah, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so wait, does that mean that if they, so if they did, I mean, I guess, like, if, if they, if, if Manny was reading, like, so I'm assuming it was, like, Teen Vogue or something, like, now she'd be a leftist, uh, like, revolutionary, right? I sure hope so. <laughs> I mean, good on I you. want, I want that reimagining of Manny, that would be really funny and good. I would love that. I mean, good on you. But, like, keep all of her plots all the same. Like, generally the same. But I actually think season three would be fascinating if that was the case. Like, if you took Manny's arc from season three and you had it try to function in 2019, I think it would have been much more insightful. Or rather, the writers would have been forced to be more insightful because I feel like there were a lot of things in season three that just were not talked about and made everything be handled in a way that just it didn't really it was difficult you could not enjoy it it was just devoid of any like real it was just watching this girl get the shit beaten out of her in many different ways in season three and i want to believe that if it operated in 2019 perhaps maybe she would have had more autonomy throughout it and it could have been like she could have gone through all this shit she could have gone through you know, changing her aesthetic and having pushback. She could have gone through getting an abortion, like, gone through all that type of stuff, but maybe it would have been done in a way that was way more progressive. Yeah. Yeah. This would have been the time where she could have gone online to find a community to support her. Oh, that would have been really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that a lot, actually. There we go! It's all three. Put three writers on this podcast. It's just us going, yeah, well, I'm going to write it. I will get this. Although, I think all these kids, if they had Twitter, that would be a nightmare. Oh, it would be. Oh, fuck, I'd love to be on that, <laughs> on that Twitter, like, every one of their, well, specific Twitter feeds. It would have been awful. JT would be Gamergate. Stop, but yes. <laughs> awful. <laughs> That's, like, not even a joke, though, because Degrassi Netflix, Netflix Degrassi tackles a lot of, like, the type of social media stuff. With varying degrees of results, and they do actually address, like, they address swatting in, in Netflix Degrassi. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I would just call Would you uh, say that, it, that Netflix Degrassi keeps up the reputation that Degrassi's always had? That it, um, um what's goes the there? Oh, goes there. Um, it certainly tries, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll talk more like five years from now. <laughs> um, yeah, but just like call pages the hunt for Red October because she's just going to be subtweeting everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, like also like, no, nah, I'm not going to go too far into this because like working with youth and seeing how Twitter functions in youth circles, there's just too much that can be said. Um, 
Anyway, Manny, in this current incarnation in 2004, is trying to be super supportive of Emma, saying that there's certain clothes that she could wear, blah, blah, blah. Um, Emma says that she doesn't want Chris back. And the thing, the reasoning behind this, the reason why Emma is still going through all of this shit to try and come off like she wants Chris back is because she says it straight up. She is embarrassed to see Chris with Liberty because of how it impacts her reputation. What the fuck, Emma? What a fucking monster. Yeah, it sucks. Especially because, like, they're supposed to be friends. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, I kind of, in a way, am glad the writers are finally acknowledging that she's a fucking monster with this type of stuff because I feel like she was heinous last season. She said horrible things to, to Manny specifically, um, has been able to get away with bad behavior for a very long time. And then Manny kind of sums it up very eloquently. That's the meanest thing I've ever heard you say, and that's really saying something. <laughs> right? <laughs> this reminds me so much of when Paige said to Hazel, you went too far, and that's coming from me. Yeah, it has the same weight. And it's just like, it also kind of speaks to, in a sad way, how little Manny kind of views herself still, because that reads to me that, like, she's she has been able to entirely look past a lot of the shit that Emma said to her. And maybe she had to work out some of it, but it sounds like overall she's just kind of like, whatever, you know, whatever, it's water under the bridge. I can look past that. But, like, this is truly what's giving her pause and, like, making her call Emma out on her shit. Yeah. And, you know, Emma looks truly rattled by being told this as Manny just fucking marches off. So, we go to the final scene of this plot. We're at the school entrance. It's the next day. Emma's approaching Liberty. She's like, oh, who are you going to vote for? All that type of stuff. And Liberty's just like, you're dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> just straight up. It's just, let me let me pull up the transcript on this. I, I already have it. You have it already up? Okay. So, the exchange, so she goes... So Emma just goes, hey, Liberty, I think I'm actually voting for Alex today. You? Liberty just goes, you're dead to me. Emma goes, what? And Liberty says, Manny told me, jealousy's really ugly, Emma. <laughs> Emma goes, no, 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 Liberty, it's just hard for me letting go of Chris, that's all. And Liberty just snaps, well, guess what? It's easy for me letting you go straight to hell. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. What am I doing? Also, shout out to shout out to Manny for telling Liberty. Yes, yes, I. Oh yes, Frank wants to play his air horn. Yes, of course. I amazing. I really appreciate <laughs> Manny just straight up saying it to her. Um, it was, it's like such a good. I don't know. It's just that's what that's what I would hope one of my kids my students, anybody, would do, right? It's like, if you hear something shitty being said about someone, and that person is, like, you know, not treating you well, like, you would hope one of your your, your friends would say, like, hey, like, just so you know, this shitty thing is happening, don't fall for their fucking tricks. And I really do appreciate that. Even though Manny is, was not perfect, I do appreciate that. She, when, when, you know, when she, when push came to shove, like, 
she did the right thing. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm really wondering about Manny's motivations, because this is, this is the end of the B-plot. Like, uh, Lippy just tells Emma to go to hell, and we are done. We're out. The thing is... I, I think I think her motivations are just, like, Emma's being shitty. I don't want to be complicit in this. We're all supposed to be friends, so I'm going to be nice. I also think it's because she's a romantic, right? Like, she wants to see love pull through. If the love is sincere between Liberty and Chris, then she wants to see that relationship be given the chance to grow and be able to become something. I think it's both those things. Yeah. And it's also Manny just wants some fucking revenge. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes, she is a teenage girl. It's just, she's a human. Of course she wants to kind of be like, hey, fuck you, buddy. This is the most power I can have to show you that you're being shitty. Remember all those times you didn't support me? Guess what? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm not mad at her for that. No, I think Manny did the right thing. No, I, I agree. I think Emma's a shit heel. <laughs> I agree. Um, and Emma just looks super upset, but she deserved it. <laughs> like... I, I am grateful for this plot to finally dig into the fact that she is shitty. She is being shitty. It, it, this actually reminds me a lot, and I know this is going to sound like a stretch, of, it reminds me a lot of this one episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. Where through the whole first and second season, you're just like, wow, Katara's like really like a mom. And in the third season, they're just like, let's address the fact that like is basically a mom. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like, hey, we've had three seasons of Emma being an asshole. Okay, let's address that. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of... I wasn't sure how much of that was part of the master plan, or if they were like, hey, we've got Emma gotten away with, like, fucking murder on this show. Maybe we should point out the fact she's being an asshole. But, like, I'm grateful that they finally did it. Because it's not fair. How she treats Liberty is fucking garbage. We haven't even kind of gone into too hard in this episode about the race aspect of it, but we've talked about it with Emma and her relationship with Chris before, where, like, she tries to come off so pristine, so, like, white and fragile, and the fact that, you know, she's not! She's being a fucking asshole, and she is, like, using... She's throwing her privilege in so many different ways, and she thinks she's above people, and it's about time that she got called out on it. Yeah, this episode was written by Shelley Scarrow and Sean Rycraft. Okay. Which, Shelley Scarecrow is kind of like our new, for me, the new Susan Nielsen. Who is she, what has she written again? She, she wrote, she co-wrote Accidents Will Happen. Okay. Okay. So, so she's like, it's like, we need girls in interpersonal conflict. And the other one's currently writing middle grade. Who can we call? Miss Scarecrow. <laughs> Is her actual last name Scarecrow? Am no, I? it's Scarrow, I believe. Scarrow. Scarrow, sorry. <laughs> Shelly. To, to sort of get into the race thing a little bit, like, I, I've kind of always felt that any of the characters of color on Degrassi are always written as others. Like, that's yes. always sort of their plot lines. Yes. Whether it's, you know, Jimmy and Ashley, whether it's Hazel and any character, whether it's Liberty and any character, um... And I, I think a lot of that has to do with just because there's so few of them um, and probably because, and I don't know that this is the case, but that seems like most of the writers are white. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, most, if not all, of the writers are white. So I don't think we've had... I'm sorry. What were you saying? 
No, I was going to say, I don't think we've had a person of color write for the show yet. Yeah, so they sort of are like, well, we don't want to say anything. We can't, We, you know, on one hand, right, they're like, I guess trying not to write from some sort of presumed lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. Which, okay, kind of okay, um, in a way. But at the same time, it's like, this is why like diversity in writers' rooms is so important because you need somebody who can be the person saying like, well, what? Why don't we do this? And you know, you know, uh, here's something authentic, and especially for a show that tries to posit itself on having a, a certain heightened level of authenticity, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there there are ridiculous things that happen in Degrassi, and that's fine. I mean, it's basically a soap opera, but um, and, and those are sort of, and, and this is even like high school dialed, dialed up to 11, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, that said when everything else, especially for white characters is dialed up to 11, you really see how underwritten the parts for any of the characters of color are because like they kind of just get forced into the same roles like over and over and over again. And then you end up also with a character and then you almost see, it almost feels like they get punished too. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. There's a because lot of Because there are things that can happen to them, but there are not things that they can control necessarily. Yes. Um, and Manny, I think is like a pretty good example of that where like just things happen to her and she deals with the fallout of those things in a way that like white characters don't ever really have to deal with. Um, even when they go through stuff, like, I mean, the first episode that I would guest on was Sean's drinking episodes, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing really bad comes out of that. You know, like, he has, like, a rough a rough couple episodes, and then, like, he's fine. Like, you know, he's sort of, you know, his character sort of gets rehabilitated, and then it's all good. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the All this stuff with, and especially with, like, Liberty and Chris, I guess, you know, uh, having sort of that shared connection as well, Emma sort of sticking her nose in the middle of that is, uh, it brings an interesting dynamic that then doesn't really get explored except that Emma's the worst. So at least like she comes off looking bad and, mm-hmm. and Liberty does get a moment to say like, fuck you. But besides that, there's not like, I, I kind of wish it was meteor. It could have been an A plot mm-hmm. if there was, uh, a little bit more nuance. Like I would have loved to see the scene between Manny and Liberty. Yes. Talking, where Liberty goes, "Why are you telling me this?" Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that would have really illuminated so much about who Manny is. Also, it would have given her more depth. Um, and it, and it, I don't know. Uh, I, again, we do this a lot, where we just start talking about like what could have been right, mm-hmm. how we would have written it. Um, uh, or how it could be written better, but, yeah. No, I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there, and I want to speak to certain pieces, but I stupidly did not take notes while you were talking. But I think that... <laughs> no, but I think you're hitting a lot of these issues and these conflicts that we constantly are running into when it comes to race and Degrassi, where I feel like a big thing is... I, you know, we have do have multiple characters of color, but they are so isolated from each other unless they're actively dating each other. We don't really see them building a community with each other. We don't really see them being able to make 
deliberate connections and lasting connections with them. We don't see marginalized characters in general revel in their otherness in the sense of community. For example, like Marco is gay, he's a good gay character, but we don't really see him finding a community with fellow LGBTQ characters in like a more social setting. You know, most of the people, uh, most of the time we see him with another LGBTQ character, it's Dylan who he's dating. And it, it's a shame that we do have like more than one of some marginalized groups on the show, and yet we don't really see them be able to make strong platonic connections with each other. We don't get to see them be able to form a community, band together in certain ways, and instead they just get constantly isolated, constantly punished, but just for being marginalized in so many ways. And I really liked what you said, Pierce, about how like things are happening to them and they're, like their, their plots are more reactive than proactive, right? Yes, you have white right. characters who go through bad things, but ultimately they're given a moment of empowerment, right? Like, I think Paige's sexual assault plotline is a good example of that, where you do see her trying to, and in, in some ways not quite making it, but other times succeeding in, like, finding a way to be empowered, making the decisions that give her the most empowerment. Meanwhile, we see, we see a character like Manny getting wailed on constantly and not really getting a moment of, of like, reclaiming herself or empowering herself or anything of that sort. It just keeps getting wailed on, keeps getting wailed on. Oh, maybe we get a brief reprieve at the beginning of the season. Something good must have happened. We don't know what. And I agree with you. I think if we saw that, and I even checked to see if maybe on the transcript that scene between her and Liberty happened, but from what I can see, it didn't. So unfortunately, like, we don't have that moment where she actively makes the decision to tell Liberty. She actively makes a connection with Liberty. She actively invokes that friendship between her to to give her this information. And it's a real shame because it just kind of reiterates how much these writers are just out of their depth. And the final thing is, like like you said, it's a writer's room. There are multiple writers working on these episodes. These are written by committee. That's how television writing works. This isn't just some YA author who works independently and, you know... Is, is trying to tell stories and maybe has a diverse cast but feels uncomfortable having, you know, writing out writing in like a first person point of view of a person of color. That to me is very different from TV writing where if you see that there is a hole in your writer's room, you have an obligation to hire somebody to fill that hole. And it's just this is an issue that I just feel like we're gonna constantly get back to, but I think Pierce you had some really, really good points in it. I just wanted to reaffirm some of them. Yeah, totally. And I actually think that it it kind of wings into the A-plot as well. Mm-hmm. Shall we get into it? Yep. All right. I mean, I'm ready if you are. Yes, I am. So... so would you like to go? So... Uh, just uh, just to sort of bridge the... Bridge the, the two things like we're talking about how marginalized characters don't really get agency and the you know the a plot centers around Marco coming out to his mom through who because basically because another character forces him to because two other characters force him to mm-hmm. um, which is which is like kind of interesting I mean Dylan doesn't really force him to in so many words but but Alex kind of does I mean she sort of just says I'm gonna do this whether you like it or not and 
you know, it kind of puts him on the receive. It puts Mark on the receiving end of my whole life is going to be is going to explode. And so, um, even that, while even while I understand, like I I understand the I kind of understand what the writers are going for in this episode. Yeah, you, you know, to give Marco like this moment to. You know, he has sort of his uh, speech, right, where, you know, in front of the school, um, and he kind of gets his moment to have some, he backs off of it so quickly in the very next scene that we see with his parents, that is like, that it's, uh, it's, it's kind of heart-wrenching. Anyway, I mean, we can start from the top, but yeah, sure. I just wanted to say how there's a very similar sort of like, the writers are writing a little scared in both in both in both instances and so this episode uh, could have been so much more in so many ways and it and it ends up not not being as good as it could have been i will kind of defend aspects of this plot as we go on but i think it also loops back into what we were talking about earlier where white characters on the show have a tendency of being able to be given time to to work to like be given more time in general and i think this kind of a scene with marco where this is just one moment in the grand timeline that is marco del rossi right if we scale it back from season two we go back to season three we see that he has made progress but he is still not quite at a point that uh, that you know in terms of coming out in terms of his identity in terms of his confidence in his identity that you know he he may get to in a season or two you know what i mean like He's given the chance to grow and change and develop and explore his identity and not be quite there yet, but given to the time to get there, that that characters of color are just never granted because they're never granted much A-plots. A they're given maybe one or two. You have writers say that they don't work very well for the show and then they get forgotten about or they just kind of get sidled to be love interests. Mark, In this case, Marco... He's not quite where, you know, maybe you may want him to be in terms of LGBTQ representation yet, but you do see that there's a progress here and that because he's being given the chance to grow through A-plots and B-plots throughout the series. But let's really jump into this. So, the episode opens up. It starts off in a photo booth. Marco is trying to do different poses, um, and every single time he tries to strike a pose, he quickly, like, is just kind of like, ugh, like he just kind of cringes a little bit and when he gets to the last photo Dylan dips in and kisses his cheek as the camera goes off um resulting in a photo strip that has a couple of poses of him trying his best one like you know looking kind of almost like a cross between like a yearbook and a headshot and then of course a final one in which Dylan's leaning in to kiss him and he's looking very pensive um Marco scolds Dylan about this um because he's at a pharmacy with a photo booth. Look, sometimes you gotta pull in, you know, some extra money here and there. I, I've <laughs> never seen that. It's right next to, it, I'm not, it's right next to the heart blood pressure machine. Yeah. Commemorate your blood pressure taking with a photo. Yeah, for context, my mom is a pharmacist, so I like grew up in pharmacies. <laughs> and I'm just like, I've never seen this before. Blood pressure machine, Yes. Photo booth, no. I've, de I've definitely seen them at, at like, I used to see them at, like, supermarkets, so it doesn't That's seem... That's a good point, I guess yeah. it could be. 
Yeah, I just, I saw it, and, like, I was like, you're either one, my, my little peanut brain was like, you're either one of two places. You're either at, like, a show at Asbury, or you're at an arcade. <laughs> Uh, we have we have multiple photo booths at the museum actually. Oh, that sounds fun. I like. That. We have like two. I, we have two. I think. Delightful. Um. Anyway. I mean, this would be a super cute moment. This would be, except Marco is not out to his mom, who is actively working at this pharmacy in the photo photo area. Um, and she asks if she can, or maybe, I don't know, I can't tell if she works in the photo lab or if she, like, works as in as a pharmacist or if she's just kind of, like, what oh, you, you she, did, Frank. She's she's stocking shelves, so she's definitely up front. Yeah. Which give me, means give she's, me a Frank. Okay, well, she's, def, she's stocking shelves, so she's definitely an up front person, and she was probably cross-trained on photo. Thank you. Thank you very much. I only know <laughs> the pharmacy area. Um... So, Mark, uh, um, his mom asks for the photos, he hands them off to her, tears, tearing off the bottom one, and she's like, aren't there supposed to be four? He's like, nope, just three this nope, time. No, it's really weird, it only got me three! Um, and they all suck, what do you know? Uh, and she's just like, well, you know, okay, kind of, like, she just kind of, like, looks past it, she's like, well, if your father gets to design the posters, I get the chance to pick one of these photos. Um... And as they're having this dis this exchange and Marco is hiding the fourth photo behind his back, Dylan is clearly slighted. Um, and after the exchange, Dylan stomps off and he's just like, I'm going to my dorm. There's a moment where Marco says, like, here, use this to make your um, roommates jealous. And, then, and Dylan's like, they're straight. It's like, okay, use it to make them uncomfortable. And Dylan's like, they don't care. <laughs> and Yeah, I did kind of like that, actually. Yeah, me too. This is also, like, this is also where I'm, like, this is what you get for dating a gay baby, dude. Yeah. Like, what did you think was going to happen? You're dating a dude who has not been out, like, very long. He's not out to his parents. Like. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I kind of hate Dylan. I think he sucks. I will not di disclose how I feel about Dylan until we get to a later point in the series. Um, but oh, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> but I am not a big fan of how he handles this. And, like, I, I kind of wish that they took it, pushed it more in the sense that it could have been a, something to talk about, especially when you have a partner who is going to college and how the dynamic does change. And a big way that it changes is, guess what? In college, you usually meet more people in your community. So, like, this could have became a discussion right. of Dylan being like, look, like, I now am in way more LGBTQ spaces. It's not just, like, you and me and maybe a couple other kids at Degrassi. Like, there are so many people, and I want to be out, and I want, you, like, you know, I want to be with somebody who's out. But instead, it just kind of makes Dylan come off like this petulant child who's, like, mad that Marco is... Yeah is not coming out on on Dylan's terms, as opposed to probably what actually happens when you have two people that are just in different emotional places because they are physically in two very different spaces. Yeah. Um, I do like the... I, I did imagine a scene with Dylan's roommates where, like, they he like Dylan's unpacking, he puts a little picture of Marco... And, like, his roommate's just like, 
Uh, oh, who's that? He's like, oh, it's my boyfriend. He's like, yeah, whatever. How well do you skate? Uh. <laughs> the only thing that matters here is hockey. <laughs> right. Like, we, like, only hockey here. Leafs are bust. Anyway, we go to school the next day. Um, Paige is in the hallway, and she is... And Marco approaches her, and he's like, Paige, I tried to call you. And she goes, so said the call display. Not as many times as my brother, though. Do you think I'd make a good travel agent? I so need a job. <laughs> Which, by the way, she would be so good as a travel agent. Also, like, what a weird job to want to get as a teenager. <laughs> I, I feel like she likes making plans. So I kind of see the idea of her thinking, like, I, I don't mind making itineraries. I could make an, a Disney World itinerary. Is that what you do? I know. Well, like, in my head, that's what I'm imagining her doing, being like, oh, yeah, I can tell you how many days you can spend ma at Magic Kingdom. Like, that's easy, right? So have you ever been to any of these countries? No. <laughs> do, do you ever walk, walk by a travel agency now and wonder how they're still in business? Um... No. There is one in New Brunswick that I've seen when I've, like, visited for, like, you know, in the area. Like, they have, like, this really old neon sign. I don't know, Frank, if you've been in, in the I, old I, New Brunswick. I have I have tried to put New Brunswick pet beyond me. That's fair. I hate going to that city, like, or town, mid-sized city, whatever. Um, the last time I went was... Top college town. <laughs> <laughs> The last time I went there was to pick up Donnie from the train station, and I was just like, God, I hate this place. I, there is, like, a side street which still has one actively. The thing is, is, like, I, I know that, like, travel agencies in, for, like, Disney World still thrive. Like, I know they still do. But, like, I'm not sure how certain ones... I mean, maybe some people still don't really want to figure it out because, like, sometimes it is kind of just so much, especially if so, you're. It's overwhelming. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I I get why there aren't as many, but I feel like there's still something to be said about like having an expert have a conversation with you and you build like you know they build it based off of what you're saying. Well, I think it's also it very much caters to the older generations. Oh, for sure. Like, I think that's probably where they oh, make their true. main source of money. Like, because they probably can set up tours and whatnot. Like, ten years ago, my family and I went on a tour of Italy through through uh, Globus, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And they took us to a lot of really cool places. And, like, some places that were off the beaten path. And we probably would have missed a lot of stuff if we hadn't gone with them. Yeah, like, they're still valuable, that's honestly. Fair. I miss my, my, I miss my luggage. Yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> Oh, no. They lost my luggage. Now, do you think, though, that if Paige was your travel agent, that when you told her a bunch of, like, places and things that you, like, places you wanted to go and things you wanted to do, she'd actually listen to you? No. Because I don't think she would. I think that you'd be like, this is what I want. And then she'd be like, that didn't seem very good. So I'd book you this instead. You'll like it so much more. Oh, my God. She absolutely would, though. Uh, you said, this ticket just says, I'm going to the disputed zone. <laughs> <laughs> She's, 
she would be so bad, but it would be funny. <laughs> it was cheap. It was. It's like, what? You said you wanted to save th- save money. I don't know why you wanted to either, but here you go. <laughs> well, like, every dollar you save comes to me, so whatever. Enjoy your flight. Whatever. Have fun. <laughs> By the way, you do have to parachute out of the back of the flight. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marco does not indulge Paige in con- in that question about her being a travel agent because he asks her about how, like, you know, what the hell was going on because Dylan was supposed to call him. And she, and she is, like, uncharacteristic in her response. She goes, he was probably busy studying or joining secret societies, whatever they do at university. Um, and Marco just freaks out and is like, you know, should I be worried? Like, what should I be doing? And Paige just goes... Dylan's hard to read, okay? He has his little tantrums. It's just like, you are still asking for advice from the kid sister of your boyfriend. You do realize this, right? Like, they're still siblings. Yeah. So then she turns a corner. Oh, this exchange is really good. Frank, do you want to read it with me? Yes, I do. Ever since the reenactment episode, we've just gotten drunk on reenactments. Yeah, we really have. Who do you want to be? Uh, I think you know, Alex. <laughs> okay. So, like, Paige walks over, and then as she's walking over, she fucking trips on Alex's foot and goes, Ow! Trip, looking where you're walking. Ice patches, bottomless pits, dog crap, and Alex! Pedestrian hazards to avoid. Nice shirt. Hate to bloody it. Nice attitude. Hate to deflate it by reminding you that you're a loser. Really? Who decided that? Everybody. Majority rules on these matters, sweetie. I love them. <laughs> anyway, I, I love cannot. Them. Oh my god, Pierce I want... already. What? <laughs> What'd you say, Pierce? I said just kiss already. God win. <sighs> Be so amazing. God. I so, I love them. There, there needed to be another scene where Paige walks another 30 feet down the hall, 30 feet down the hall, and it's just like, like, so anyway, Marcus is like, God damn it, Ellie, sorry. <laughs> Good. Yes. Yes. Um, so after this exchange, we end up in kind of like library slash classroom slash question mark, which is kind of a center point for this plot for here on out in which Marco enters the room, and Alex just kind of goes, gay kid, hey. (laughs) And Marco's immediately like, um, what the fuck? And, and he just is like, hey, like, guess what? I don't like answering to gay kid. (laughs) And Alex just kind of jumps into making these dismissive titles about him as president, because he's trying to run for class president. School president? School body president, right? Yeah. It's 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 definitely not yeah. grade-wise in this one. Um, and he finally indulges her and listens to her. And she's just kind of like, you know, just tell me, like, you know, what are the issues? Like, tell me what they are. Um, and he just kind of dismisses her, assumes that it's just, like, her retaliating after Paige tripped on her. And Alex is just like, no, like, I mean it. Like, answer your answer my questions like you care which is such like an Alex statement to say and I love her (laughs) um 
And Marco is just like, you know, just fucking save her for the assembly. Like, I don't have time for this. And she just kind of raises her eyebrows. She leaves. Marco's super confused. And as he's trying to process what just happened, Snake leans in and tells Marco that Alex is running. And, quote, she's out for blood. <laughs> and I, I wonder why the adults are just like, she's really mean. I guess we'll let her keep doing that. <laughs> Because I will say this, and I, I'm going to give you some insight as somebody who works in communities of youth. There are some kids that just you, you just got to accept on face value. And, like, the thing about Alex is she reminds me of one kid in particular that we kind of let rule the roost in a similar fashion. And the reason why is because she had, like, a very... And I feel this way kind of with Alex, where, like, they have a moral code of some mm -hmm. sort. And once you know how to work within their moral code, it's hard for you to really get angry at them. Yes. And with Alex, you can tell that she doesn't feel like she's heard, and she tries to make herself heard. And sometimes that's fighting, and sometimes that's yelling, and sometimes it's running for school body president. Yeah, there, were, there was a girl I went to school with who was kind of like this. She was loud and bossy and whatnot, but, like, as long as you were good and proper and, like, you know, were nice to other people, she had your back always. Exactly, exactly. Like, for, a, for somebody who comes off so blustery and chaotic, they're actually quite lawful in their viewpoints. And, like, loyal to, loyal until the day is over. Exactly, and, like... Those are the phrase. <laughs> no, 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 but it's true. Like they're 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 going to stick by your side. And like if you sometimes as an educator, you want to preserve that relationship so badly because you know once that bridge is burned, you're not getting it back. Oh, yeah, no. And and I could see a lot of like Snake, I could see having a very tentative relationship with her. I mean like, look, Alex, sometimes you go online shopping and I just gotta accept it so that you don't make my life a living hell. <laughs> Alex would fit very well into, a, like, a central Jersey high school. <laughs> she would. She would work very well in, like, my my school that I work at in New York City. Like, actually, she would run that school, honestly. <laughs> uh, she she works well in, like, uh, in, in central Jersey. Like, she, there's something very familiar about her that makes me utterly charmed by her, in spite of the fact that, like, she is this very... She can be mean, but, like, you understand why she's being mean. And I think that it's it's easier for teachers to kind of make that work. <laughs> what I loved about the girl I went to high school with is at one point somebody said something nasty to me, and from across the room she just yelled, Don't be mean to him! Yeah, no, but that's what they do. <laughs> like, and that's why I really liked... That's why I really like this girl, and, like, I'm very fond of her. It's the same thing, because, like, she see, it's, it's like, it's like if they see an injustice, they call it out. Yeah. They may not call it out correctly, like, the way that you want them to, but they will call it out. And what really killed me is, like, she, like, after the class, she, like, patted me on the arm, she's like, you ever gives you trouble again, you come find me. Yeah, no, And she I was a that. foot shorter than me. No, I wouldn't fuck with her, though. I, I deeply respect this girl that you went to high school with. Uh, she turned out great, like. Oh, man. That's good. Um, Alex. See, I don't, I don't think I ever had, I don't think I ever had this experience. I think that. I think, I mean, when I was in, like, grammar school, middle school, I think I just got picked on. And then by the time I was in high school, I think most of the kids that were just sort of mean for no reason were, like, on the baseball team. Well, so, I think I think that's why, though, because you're, you're talking about kind of, like, 
you're talking about a different type of kid. Like, those are the the mob mentality-based, like, asshole jock type. This type of kid is typically not viewed with much social currency. Like, they have a tendency of alienating themselves from the student body for various reasons. And for a lot of it, and and I'm sure in the case of Alex, and in the kids that I've observed, a lot of the time it's just like, they're just like, they attack in a way that like, kids are kind of too scared of them or too put off by them to like really have the kid find much community within the kids themselves, but they usually end up having a couple teachers that mentor them or look after them. Um, it's just an entirely different type of kid. I, you don't see them every single class either. They are a type of kid, like Alex is a type of kid that you may see only one of, you may see a couple, like, you know, once every couple years, but like they're, they do exist. Like looking at Alex in action distinctly reminds me of a student that I work with in my programming, which is... Gotcha. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I... She's so familiar. Um, but... (laughs) She delights me because, um, the next scene we see Alex, she is in, um, she's in the hallway, and she's putting up her spray-painted, like, canvas sign, um, which is, it says, Authority sucks! Alex Anarchy Side. <laughs> it sucks her. with an X too, which it's is just true. amazing. I love and her. And Marco calls out immediately. Yeah, it's so good. Like Paige is super shocked. Craig is like, as in is in the most likely to kill someone, Alex. And like everyone starts aggressively signing Marco's like petition for nomination. It, and Craig offers cash. He's like, look, I got five grand I'm willing to put into your bank. You just gotta owe Craig some favors. Like, which is so fucking silly because, like, <laughs> what is Alex gonna do with you, Craig? Like, <laughs> she no time for your nonsense. She'll make him the court jester. <laughs> right? Be like, be like, play me a song, you asshole. <laughs> you gave me a kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> um... As, as this is happening, Marco checks his beep-boop phone. It's so noisy. Um, and he just kind of, like, cringes. He looks up at Alex and leaves. Hazel assumes that it's because Marco is rattled about Alex. And Paige says that it's not that, but it's that. She says, let's just say Siegfried might be looking for a new Roy. Which is the weirdest reference did you know they're still alive? I didn't. I thought one of them died when they got remember- mauled by the tiger. <laughs> Don't be this a oh, joke. No, I, I really I did. Think, I think they just got rid of the tigers then. Yeah, no, I, I looked it up. Um, well, I had because I had a couple questions about this. I one I really thought one of them died. Um, they are alive. Um, the attack happened in two thousand three. This episode was in two thousand four, which felt very tacky. Um, and finally, <laughs> finally, it, I was like, were they together? And it sounds like, from what I could tell, at some point, romantically, they were, but, like, that relationship was actually quite a while ago. So, like, for Paige to suggest that as, like, a reference of, like, a, a gay couple is very peculiar. You know how there's the... I said before, that line was clearly <laughs> written by a man. No, that was clearly... <laughs> this is clearly written by, a, like, an old, old person. 
Yeah, like, I could have bought, you know, I, I actually found when Spinner was going through the posters of, like, Mandy Moore and Hillary Duff, and then yeah, Paige suggests that she is, like, more like Lindsay Lohan. I was fine with that. I was fine with the Paris Hilton comment as well in that episode. But, like, for whatever reason, this one was so jarring. Oh, my God. I have a new idea for a new superlative. Okay. I'll tell you later. Okay. But, like, I was, like, listening to this one. I'm like, I feel like you even could have gone, like, with, like, a, a, a food pairing or something. Like... Anything but this. I was just kind of like, this is weird. Looks like that apple, let's just put it this way. It looks like apple pie is looking for some new ice cream. Maybe. (laughs) Would have been less confusing. I guess, though, like, so it's 2004, like, what's the highest profile gay couple that could have been referenced? But, like... I didn't even, I don't know, like, in 2004, I'm trying to think of, like, 2004, and, like, 2004 Donnie did not really think much of Siegfried and Roy other than those two dudes that had the cats in Vegas, and then one of, then, like, you know, the tiger attacked one of them. That's literally all I knew as a, like, as a kid. Like, I feel like if I was thinking gay person who performed in Las Vegas, like, I would have thought Liberace before I thought Siegfried and Roy. I, was, I probably would have thought Elton John, yes. even though he didn't perform in Las Vegas, I don't think at that time or ever. Yeah. Not like as a residency. Uh, maybe he did. I have no idea. I have no idea either. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I'm really trying to, to, to re, to like re, like, you know, flat, like flashback to like 2004 Donnie and like trying to think about like what I thought. Not to say that it was right, I'm just trying to think of like what what I was thinking and like what references you could make. But I mean, I that's the thing, it's like there weren't very many, I mean it's true, there weren't very many like high profile gay couples. It's just like it would have been better if she I don't know, that that line weirds me out. It's a weird line. It's a really weird line. It it also, like, is kind of odd, because, like, this, obviously, like, this this episode came out, I think, October 2004. That attack happened, I forget, one in 2003. But, like, it's very possible this was written after that incident happened. It's just, like, I, I just feel might, like... It might have just been on the brain. Yeah, I guess that's just because I guess was. also the other thing is uh, what, what, how many like high profile like male duos are there? Yeah, there's even that. if they're not gay, it's like Penn and Teller, yeah, Siegfried and Roy. Okay, that, <laughs> like that's a good point I, I too. Couldn't, couldn't name another one, and I mean like there are plenty of duos, like but Sonny and Cher would make even less sense. Yeah, it, it would be like. Would make more sense. It's just like, like, look, look, just well, let's just put it this way. It looks like Ben Affleck's looking for a new Matt Damon. It's like, and Hazel's like, ah, are you still talking about Goodwill Hunting? We all know what was going on in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I would have like been been good with like a like a not canonical or something like like something to that effect. Like I I feel weird calling real people not canonical, but like I would have like been able to I feel like that would have landed a little better but once again this is what happens when adults are writing YA targeted media sometimes it's a very it's a very 
hey there, fellow kids. Right. Uh, kind of line. Exactly. It looks like Batman's looking for a new Superman. What? what? And oh, oh, actually, yeah. Could have said, look like looks like Batman's looking for a new Robin. I would have bought that. I think that would have been fine. Well, I think that would have been totally that, fine. Then she pulls out that, that one... Um, that one panel where it looks like Batman's breaking up with Superman. <laughs> and it's like Clark calls the Wayne Manor and uh, Batman's just like, tell him I'm not here, Alfred. He's like, I understand. And then Lexus Clark's like, I understand. And the last panel is just Clark crying. Oh, right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And just, and like, he's like, why are you referencing this really obscure like panels of comic books? Where'd you get this? <laughs> anyway, I would have been able to. I would not have spent the Wikipedia spiral I did over this reference if it was not in it. Anyway. <laughs> the, uh, anyway. So, next scene, we're at the front of the school. Marco is looking at his phone. It has a fucking antenna. That's how old this phone is. <laughs> Holy Wait, shit. Wait, uh, I, I have one last thing about Siegfried and Roy. Please. Paige says that, right? Yes. Okay. She wants to be a travel agent earlier in the episode. Uh, Maybe she was looking up things to do in Las Vegas. Thus, why she makes Siegfried and Roy reference. I love that. I, I accept it now. Everything is fine now. That's <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yes, antenna cell phone. Ooh, where would be a good place to send somebody on a vacation? Ooh, things to do in Las Vegas. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, anyway, Marco walks out of the school. He has to, like, get the antenna up before he answers the call. Jesus. Oh, no, before he makes a call? Jesus, I remember this. That was the thing. Like, I was, like, a fucking latchkey kid. So I had, like, my cell phone premature. Like, I would say premature. Like, way too early. So, of course, I had, like, a really archaic one. Didn't, didn't have one till college. I... I, I basically didn't have one until college. And, and I wish I didn't have one until college. Weirdly, didn't have one until I started my second year of college, which was not the year I commuted. Oh, wow. Stressful. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> hope I can find a payphone in Newark. Ooh, good luck! And I hope, hope I have some quarters. Right. <laughs> anyway, he goes to call Dylan. Um, he's like, hey, can we talk? And Dylan is just like... Hold up in his dorm, feet on the fucking desk, wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. Um, he's just like, uh, uh, you know, I'm not really up for this. And Marco is just like, hey, like, you know, my day has been kind of tumultuous. I found out somebody's running against me. And Dylan's, like, super glib about it. He's like, yeah, well, it's an election. What do you expect? Which, like, irritated me so fucking much. Just, like, shut up. Dylan has been, like, super nice so far, like... You can't just inject he's being a dick. Well, I guess you kind of can, but, Well, you like, can if There's you, levels. If you can, but I feel like if they really leaned into the fact that he was going to college and life is different for him and his sense of community is different, I think that his... Not to say it would have been validated, but it would have made sense. Yeah. I, I think that if they just leaned in a little more, tweaked up a couple lines, maybe added a scene or something, I think this would have been... Less jarring for a viewer. Anyway, um, Marco is like, hey, you didn't call me last night. And Dylan's like, yeah, I was thinking. Anyway, I was in my dorm because I'm in college, you know. And I just don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And he hangs up. 
Yeah. It sucks. I, the thing is, I can I can believe that Dylan is kind of a dick because like you would probably get be kind of a dick if everybody mentioned that you look like the singer of Nickelback all the time. Oh no! Oh no! Why did you put that he thought does, in my head? He looks like he could be Chad Kroger's son. No! And also, Nickelback is Canadian. No, you're right. <laughs> I keep making hand gestures, Pierce, but then I remember you can't see us. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, uh, you know, so, like, Dylan is how you remind me of Chad Kroger. Oof. Man. That was, <laughs> that was not a good joke. Oof. I, I got it. I got he, he, it. He doesn't have a shitty goatee. Yet. Um, yet. He probably can't grow one yet. He's like 19. Um, anyway, we see Marco's house, which does not have enough furniture encased in plastic, in my opinion. I agree. <laughs> uh, um, but he just enters the home, and he's just kind of, you can tell he's just, he's he's been going through it. And his father is just like, hey, do you want to see the posters that I made for you? Um, and he talked about how much he wants to go to the assembly, um, and Marco's like, well, maybe you shouldn't, you know, somebody else is running, I don't know. Um, and his father just proceeds to show off the posters, gloats about how good they were, and how he's somehow able to get such a clear image from a fucking photo booth <laughs> picture that is so fucking tiny. He's a, he's a Photoshop wizard. Apparently! Does Photoshop exist? Yeah. Oh, right, I did 2004, use it. definitely. It's oh, like, yeah. It's like Photoshop 1. I forgot I did use it in high school. Oh, never mind. Um, Marco's just like, yeah, whatever. Did he purposely make the posters look kind of like Russian propaganda posters, though? <laughs> they do have that vibe. It's true. <laughs> I made these after... After, um... Whatever. Um, I, okay, so I'm just gonna... Lay some cards on the table. Donnie, I actually went online trying to find, like, a viable copy of this poster, and I couldn't. Damn! It would have been so good. I would have put it in the room that we record. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like you could probably recreate it. Oh, you could. No problem. Um, anywho. Um, so, his father just is, like, leaning real into this. He's like, yeah, your mom picked the perfect picture and all this stuff. Um... And you'll notice that I don't try and recreate his accent because it's. I feel like even if I if I did it, it no, you should bad. try it. No, you should no, try it. No, no, come on, Donnie. Come I'm on, good. Donnie. I'm good. I'm real good on that front. I don't need to. Um, it's I just, think the people want to hear it. I don't know if they do. I, anyway, I'm. No, because if I try to impersonate it, I'm just going to truly sound like a Sopranos extra. And that's, we already know that's my hey, other alias. When in, when in Jersey. Right. Like, he just, you know, he's just trying to be really positive about everything. And Marco is just kind of like, yeah, that's sure me. That sure is a picture of me. I gotta go. Um, and he goes into his room, and he's clearly just kind of jittering about, and just, he looks like he's just fucking out of it. Um, and as he looks like he's out of it, his mom enters the room, and he's just like, I have to write a speech. Like, and then 
his mom just kind of keeps asking what's wrong and kind of whittling him down. It starts from I have to write a speech, then it becomes I'm freaking out because I have to deliver this speech to the classic trying to hide that you are gay without straight up lying about yourself, which is saying I met this person last year and, well, we look, people break up, which is the classic. I feel very weird doing saying it. It's like almost like it, at work. I, I still use she, her pronouns, but, like, I feel like whenever I talk to myself, I suddenly use this weird passive voice to avoid misgendering myself. <laughs> I thought we were going to get, uh, I thought we were going to get singular day, and I was like, oh, Degrassi being, uh, a little bit ahead of its time, but alas. Yeah, alas, right? Just, like, not. turtlenecking. It's like, are we going to get there? Are we going to get there? No! I thought, thought we were. Uh, I sort of, I get this scene, and I get it sort of like, uh, uh, relatability and sort of that weird accuracy. Yes, um, yes. But I sort of, like, this is a really, like, traumatic 24 hours for this poor kid. It really like, fucking is. Like, he's had, like, he doesn't want to reveal this thing, but he, I mean, he does, obviously, because he reveals it, but it also is that, like, you, you put it perfectly, like, his mom, like, whittles him down by just sort of, like, hanging out in the doorway, mm-hmm. and it's kind of because, like, everybody's been doing that to him for the entirety of the episode, and, like, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with regards to how marginalized characters don't really get agency, like, he's almost, the writers force him to come out to his mom because, like, that's the next part of his story as the, as the capital G gay character. Yeah. You know, like, is that like, well, eventually he, this has to happen. And instead of him deciding to do it, he is harassed at school about it. His boyfriend breaks up with him because he won't do it. His friends are not super helpful when it comes to, like, discussing it. They're just sort of like, yeah, we're, we can't really help you with this. Which, that's fine, because I think that in that, that moment, like, they, there's really nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones that kind of get off. Uh, get off the hook uh, with that. And then his mom just sort of is like, I, I do like that when he's like, I'm gay. She's like, yeah, because I, I don't really think you can miss the signs with uh, with Marco. Uh, pretty obvious, but maybe that's because I already know. Like, I don't know. When I was watching, I was like, oh, if I went to school with this kid, I'd be like, hmm, I don't know. Th- Maybe that's, like, me to say, but... I, I think it kind of goes back to what Marco has already talked about himself within the series, where he straight up said, like, people look at me and they know. So, like, yeah. he he's already established that, like, you know, he understands that he comes off in a certain way, whether it's how he presents himself, his mannerisms, the way he talks, whatever. Uh, he He comes off that people look at him and they can make the guess that he's gay. And in the case of his mother, I think I don't come down as hard on this example of how he comes out to his mom, mostly because, like, my mother was the one who kind of ripped me out of the closet, like, twice in my life. So there's a part of me that feels very much like, for better and for worse sometimes, and maybe this is a bit of projecting because I'm also in, like, I come from, like, an Italian background. I feel like... Italian mothers in particular take on a very fascinating role where they come off 
very subservient, but in actuality, they are highly manipulative. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like Marco's mom is the same way to a certain extent. I think she's a nicer version of it. I think that you do see very extreme versions of this um, in media and in person. I have met, I have met and have lived with women like this. But I think that Marco's mom is a similar type of it, but a nicer, like a lighter version of it in the sense that like, she kind of knows how to invade her son's space and how to keep, keep wearing him down until she gets to the answer that she wants. Yeah. Mm. Like, and I don't think, I don't know, because like, Marco is an interesting character to me because I think that he's one of the few where, regardless of, like, you know, how... Marco's cultural background is interesting to me because I feel like it hits a lot of truths. I don't know if it's because somebody Italian was writing this. I don't know if it was just they took some, some pretty broad strokes and went with it or what. But I feel like there's... He's given the space to be able to to make sense of his cultural identity and the baggage that comes with his cultural identity in a way that like very few characters on Degrassi actually get to do, um, especially with the way that it, it shapes and impacts his relationships with people and his sexuality. And this is a moment where we kind of see that play out. Anyway, his mom's low-key manipulative, as I take, but I also feel that it's a lot of. Italian people only know how to communicate through that. My mom was an Italian, but she could sniff out a secret pretty well. Oh, yeah. And it was just easier just to come clean than, uh... It was easier to come clean than to lie. Yeah, and it also, I feel like, you know, of the two, you can tell that he has a close relationship with her. She clear, like, he clearly, like, likes her. He likes making, like, pasta sauce with her and things like that. Like, he has fond memories with her. And I understand where, like, you know, he's just like, well, fuck it. Like, this is the safest option, right? Like, Dad's already proven himself to be an asshole about this. Mom seems like she might be okay. You know, fine, whatever. Let's give it a shot and see what fucking happens. I'm already, my back's already up against the wall. What the fuck do I have to lose? And... It, it it leads to her, like, just being like, ah, yeah, so, like, you were with Dylan. Because she knew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they went to a restaurant right. together, and it was a nightmare. Like, she she figured it out. Um, and he starts off with denying it, and then he's just kind of like, yeah, no, I am. And he just keeps saying that he's gay. And they both just kind of cry her standing in the doorway him standing him sitting on the bed it's so hard it's really fucking rough yeah see i i think uh the thing i like about marco is like i you know i i understand his struggle to be like um and i'm you know i guess in knowing a lot of queer people i've always been very in awe of folks who are just like like I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. And if that means that my identity is a problem for my family, then fuck them and I'll yeah. leave them behind and I don't care. Um, but uh, one thing I always liked about Marco is like the reason he struggles with this because he, he doesn't hate his family, you know? And like he, he recognizes that they're flawed, but he's not going to just um, kind of blow up. And uh, partly because he can't, right? Because he's in high school yeah. or, or whatever. But like it doesn't, there's no indication that even if he, 
was coming out later in life that he would do it to be like, well, fuck you, this is who I am. You know, a lot of his, the reason he's so hesitant is because he is, um, because he does care, because he likes doing those things with his mom, because he does feel a connection to his culture and to those traditions. It's just that he's gay. And so, like, he doesn't want to, like, burn everything down. He's looking for a way to kind of have both. And, uh, like, I'm not out to my parents at all. Mm -hmm. And so, partly because, like, I like seeing them and I like not talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And also because like we're, we're Irish, so we, we don't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, that's our culture. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, uh, I, it's, I mean, I'm 30 years old and it's not a conversation that I want to have with my dad. And that's, so on that level, I'm like, cool, Marco, totally get it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess with all of it, I, I see why it happens the way it happens. I do wish that it wasn't... I wish he didn't have his back up against the wall. Because, again, as, like, the almost lone gay character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the exception of Dylan, who, like you said earlier, exists to sort of just be a, a, a love interest and... It's not real with a real lack of community. Um, it's it's unfortunate because we don't get to see another way. Exactly. I guess. Yeah. 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 You know? Like we we know Dylan came out. We know that it took some sort of transition for for everyone to get on the same page in terms of his family. Ah, on the same page. I know, right? Um, but other than that, but like we still don't know that much outside of that. Yeah. And and that's just, you know, how it is. And I think that there's sometimes, I like kind of some of the snippets we get, but it would be way more effective if we actually had, like, a crew of LGBTQ characters with diverse experiences and different familial structures and different relationships with their families. Because while Marco's experience speaks deeply to me, and... Uh, Especially that, like, grasping so hard, not wanting to lose your structure and, and, you know, not wanting yourself to end up in a situation where you do lose that connection with these people that you care about. It it does always suck because it's like, well, like, there are other ways. And Marco's kind of, unfortunately, our only voice in this conversation, really. Yeah. Yeah. For for 2004, you know, what do we have in 2004 at this point, right? We have, like, Will and Grace... We have, do we have queer as folk and then the L word by this point? I feel like we might, or we I, almost do. I feel like we're either uh, on the verge of it, or, like, I feel like at the very least we're on the verge of it, because I definitely was watching queer as folk on mute late at night in high school. Yeah, and then, I think I, is that pretty much it? Out. I mean... Ugh, Brokeback came out, okay. Yeah. Oh, was that 2004 or 2005? That that was 2004, because I remember seeing that before one of my friends went to college. Oh, you're right, it was 2004, because I remember lying and saying that I went to go see Munich, but I actually went to go see, like, when my parents asked what movie I was going to see, Mm -hmm. I said I was going to see Munich. You know, a perfectly normal movie for a 15-year-old to go see. What movie did Uh, I lie to see, Brokeback? I definitely did a similar thing. I definitely did not say I saw Munich. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't remember yeah, that I, movie. I don't know why that was the uh, only one that I 
I just I, I don't know why I so specifically remember that either. I still it was haven't award seen, you know, season. It's been fifteen years. <laughs> my my de- um I told my parents I was gonna go see Brokeback Mountain and my parents just kinda like rolled with it. They didn't give a shit. I, I would not think your parents would. Um Oh my my parents would have serious words about it if I had mentioned that. Oh, I would if I mentioned it the now house. they wouldn't care, but like at the time it would have been like my dad's mouth would get really small. Because that's what he would do when he was angry, is he would like purse his lips so hard that like they disappeared, My, and uh, and he would furrow his brow and he'd be like, "You're not doing that." I and I'd be like, "Okay." <laughs> I feel like my disowned schedule would have been way quicker. <laughs> so yeah, I said I saw something else. I'm not I'm sure I remember what else, but I saw something. Quote unquote. Yeah. I went to the movies to see something. Um, anyway, so, we go to the next day, we're in the hallway, Marco's putting up posters, Paige approaches him, and is like, hey, like, Dylan was talking to me, like, for three hours last night, and he's worried about you, and I'm worried too, so, like, what's going on? Marco is just like, oh yeah, I came out to my mom. And Paige hugs him and says, I love you, um, and he goes, yeah, like, I just hope she still does. And that broke my heart. Yeah. yeah, that was a good little scene. I like that. Yeah. and she, that, that felt real. It did. And she points out, like, yeah, like, you've had a, a year of being gay. And, like, she's had a night to kind of process it. Um, and she excitedly adds that she's going to call Dylan with the news as well. Um, and there's a part of this which is, like, you know, once again, it shows how Marco has kind of lost autonomy with this, but at the same time, I feel like it does speak to how when you are surround, like, I wish this was brought up the discussion piece of what it's like to kind of be tokenized Mm -hmm. as a marginalized person, because I feel like I had a similar sort of experience being, like, the only gay kid in my circle, in the sense that, like, my realizations, my coming outs, my milestones as a queer person were co-opted by, like, my straight best friends a lot of the time. And I understand why Paige is, like, really excited about this and, and her investment in it, but it does kind of speak to, like, how if you are marginalized, like, a lot of the time, at least when it comes to, like, when you are when you're in the LGBTQ community, like, people get really invested in your life and you don't necessarily want them to and they start saying things about you as if you wanted that to come out. It just, sorry, that just reminds me of, I, I, one of my friends, we were becoming friends, and he came out to me in, like, we were just hanging out, watching a movie or whatever, and he came out to me, and he's like, I'm not out to a lot of people, please don't say anything. And I was yeah. like, no, we're cool, we're cool. And he had told, like, another one of my friends, and he's like, please, like, don't tell him, not even your sister. And, like, everybody kind of knew, like, if I knew something, Susie knew it. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't tell Susie. Yeah. Like, and then, like, he told another friend who told Susie. Oh, no. And Susie's like, did you know so-and-so was gay? Like, was gay? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, like, who told you? And, like, Oh, he did, and it's like, I thought Frank would have told you, and I was like, no, I made a promise. Yeah. 
it's it's rough. It's it's really rough with this type of stuff because I feel like it happens all the fucking time. Not just in teenage spaces. I think it happens in adult spaces too, where it's just like a lot of people who are not marginalized or not as marginalized. Like it's very performative. I feel like it's like look. I am tallying up all of my marginalized friends, and I think that it's not something that everybody is, like, totally 100% conscious of doing, but I think a lot of people do it. Just at that time, I thought to myself, like, this is a deeply personal thing, and it is not mine to share with anyone. Yeah, like, that's, in theory, what, what you sh- how you should react, but there are a lot of people who go, oh, like, let me show off how how diverse of a group of friends that I have. Hey, did I mention that my friend is gay? Hey, did I mention my friend is questioning, you know, questioning their gender, blah, 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 blah. Like, I feel like I see it played out a lot. And I've seen this, I've seen this before, is what I'm getting at. I've experienced it, but I've also witnessed people do it. I can say this thing now because I have this kind of friend. Yeah, exactly. I've collected them like a Pokemon badge. But I I think that's what happens. (laughs) So, meanwhile, Alex is ripping off Marco's posters. <laughs> like, it's just like... Just, just do a call about her business. <laughs> and, and Marco runs over to her and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And Alex is just like, well, you can't spend more than $40 on your campaign. And he's like, I didn't. Like, my dad has a print shop. And she's just like, unfair advantage. Later. She's, she's kind of not wrong. No, she's not. Like, she poses a really good point. And... <laughs> She's just like, and at one point he's like, why are you doing this? And she goes, because you're running and because I can. <laughs> and just like Radish comes up and like she just glares at me. He's like, carry on, walks away. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and Marco is just like, you know, it's like nobody's going to vote for you. And Alex is just like, you know, oh, like, you know, it's just not yet. And Marco says, like, not ever, unless you open up votes to high school dropouts or your parole officer. That's a super mean thing to say. It's super fucking mean. I mean, it goes back to, like, with Alex and her crew, you know, Jay, Sean, et cetera, et cetera. Like, these are all kids who are at a significantly lower socioeconomic level from the re- from. Me- I wouldn't say the rest, because I'm sure there's a couple other kids at Degrassi who are in a similar place, but... From a significant amount of the lead characters. How much better would this episode have been if Ellie was on Alex's side? Yeah, Ellie not being a factor in this plot seems like a really, like a missed opportunity. Because it's I think... It's super weird. Yeah, because like, this is where what yeah. she would thrive in, right? Like, it's politics, it's perspectives, it's like... Ellie being like, no, Alex is right. Guess what? You are being selfish. I know you're hurting, and I know that, like, you know, you you are dealing with shit personally, and I feel for you, but guess what? Like, that doesn't mean that you're right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, my God, it would have been amazing if Marco was like, you had to make a choice, her or me. And then, like, but then, like, you cut to Alex, and I was like, do what you think is right, Ellie, and, like, punches her on the arm a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder, because, like, the, the Pierce, I don't know if you you know this or not, but, like, season three finale was supposed to be about Marco and Ellie having a riff in their friendship. It was supposed to be that they basically could not, uh, you know, had a had a huge moment of contention concerning the topic of cultural appropriation. 
Um, and I wonder, I wonder if parts of this plot are kind of like vestiges of that initial season three finale in the sense that it kind of feels like you could have slotted Ellie into this and continued that tension between the two of them. But because they dropped that thread, they kept this plot. But it just felt like she was missing. It, it feels like uh, similar to how a lot of things early in Degrassi seasons are like, something happened over the summer. Like, we can just kind of chalk it up to that. Like, if a character yeah. doesn't show up, then we're just like, oh, they're just whatever, you know? Like, it, it, it's partly out of convenience. I, I wonder, too, like, how much of it is just the logistics of having a bunch of um, minors on a television show. Wow, 100%. I think that's a big factor. I mean, you know, like, well, we get... We get, like, one shot of JT, right? Yeah. We get, like, one shot of Craig and Spinner at the lunch table or whatever, you know. Um, so I, I feel like sometimes when they write these kind of hyper-specific plots that also do involve uh, the, parent, the, the parent characters, like the adult characters a little bit, that are going to eat up some time, they're like, ah, well, we don't need to, like, pull in all the other characters who are not essential, essential as plot. That said, having Ellie not be there is so weird because mm -hmm. she seems like the most central, one of the most central characters to who to, to like Marco's uh, general sort of atmosphere. Uh, you know, it was like it was she's like a, definitely a satellite character of him. Yes. So because um, they pretty much get introduced around the same time, right? They like, do. Uh, yeah. more or less. Because, like, they're dating or whatever. Yeah, they're part of that, like, season two new kid crew, and, like, they are a set for a lot for, of that. Right, exactly. And so, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I also wonder, too, if it's just different writers not being as familiar, if it's just writers forgetting. I mean, that's the other thing. That's uh, true. And this goes... This this goes along with this goes with comics all the time too, right? Where you know the thing we run into often is like characters just disappear, and and you yeah. just go, wait, why? And like years later, the writers was like, oh yeah, we just totally forgot about that. So sorry, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so so I wonder if it was just maybe more general logistics and the writers' own sort of uh, forgetfulness or. Yeah, or just the leftover vestiges of that, that original season three finale that, you know, she wouldn't be present for this because something happened. But I don't know, interesting interesting to think about because not to get spoilery, but she will reappear this uh, season, doesn't she? Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah as, far as, I, as far as I remember, she does reappear later, so. She, uh, yeah. No, I yeah. mean, yeah, I, like, we go through the Wikipedia pages of each one, um, and they didn't say, like, they said, like, this is the final appearance of Kendra. They didn't say that about Lee, so. No, no. She, I will spoil this much. She, she has, she has some stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, I'm just. So after Marco makes this kind of nasty remark about the potential voters for Alex, um, she retaliates, and the way that she retaliates is that she, you know, basically ask Marco, doesn't even basically, she asks Marco, like, who are people going to vote for, the freak or the queer? And she makes it very clear that she's the freak in this conversation. And she's walking away. <laughs> yeah. And it's a very jarring thing because, I mean, 
the scope, it's kind of interesting because 2004 versus 2019, uh, the use of the word queer in this context is always... It's Less always than empowering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, 2019, it's like, I'm like, I use that to describe myself. I reclaim that. But, like, in 2004, it's like... <gasps> Like, 2004 Donnie would be so rattled by this. 2019 Donnie is just like, oh, okay, all right, this, okay, this is, okay. Well, sucks, but okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like McDonald's will use queer now, so. <laughs> God, right? <laughs> did, did they? I mean, not pr- I don't know. give it some Probably time. Not, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's. It's it's kind of reminds you because I think that the use of the word like queer is, you know, people are using it more as like an umbrella term, and then there are people who are bringing up their their how they're uncomfortable about this, and this does kind of remind you, especially if you're somebody who who uses the term, you go, oh right, right, right. This is when it comes out of a different person's mouth, it's vile. Okay. <laughs> I, I have a question about Alex's comment, though. She says, who are they going to vote for, the freak or the queer? Now, does she specify that she's the freak yes. because otherwise you wouldn't know because she is both? Wait, what? Hmm. Hmm. Does she specify that like she's the freak yeah, she in this it. equation because she is also queer? She radiates... Or she has has some some internalized something that she is trying to work out. Ooh. I mean, her exact line is. Sorry, I had it and I like scroll. By the way, I'm the freak. No, but that is like. It can be read as a. I mean, there's two ways of reading it, right? It could be read as this is me actively reminding you that you are the one who is you know who is different. Who is the bad kind of different here, buddy? But it could also be read as put on your little gay goggles, and it could be. I mean, she thing. has like some chaotic bisexual energy going on, is what I'm saying. True. True. Frank's processing. Uh, it's, it's sometimes just like I know I'm not perfect in many ways, but like. That's a weird way to say that. It's just like, I don't know everything, so sometimes you all use terms, and they just laugh at me when I don't know the terms. <laughs> it's actually funny, because this is the second time we've used chaotic bi already in season four. Well, you, well it, but this has happened other times. Like, I, you didn't, wouldn't tell me what Stan meant. You, you used the term turf, which I didn't know what that was. And then I looked it up, I'm like, oh, I should know what this term is. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you didn't know what a turf was. Not not to say that, like, you know, not to say that I, I view you as a turf in any way, shape, or form, but just because I, I figured in the, <laughs> you would know the, know the enemy. Well, yeah, no, I figured that kind of thing existed. I just didn't know there was a term for it. Yeah. But my, prob- my, my issue was that, like, nobody stopped to be like, this is what this is. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is awful. Well, like, some things are just, like, so deeply just, like, no offense, Frank, but, like, I feel like there's some things that are just so deeply within, like, the LGBTQ internet culture. <laughs> and, like, especially, like, the Twitter culture that you are just not a part of that I feel like it would just be... <laughs> so... That's probably a little true. Yeah. But no, no. also, too, like... When it's explained to me like that, it makes more sense, but it did just feel like, 
I, guys, guys, I want to know. I want to learn. Aw. Aw, Frank. Like, I want to, like, accumulate as much knowledge about this as I can so I'm, I can be well-informed. Though, you can never be too well-informed. I love how it's like, I just want to know what being a chaotic bisexual means. I mean, that one's kind of self-explanatory. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, just throwing acronyms yeah, at me. I don't, I don't know, know what's up. Was- I'm sorry, but yeah, that 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 was my my read also of Alex's very uh, her her specificity in that moment. I mean, I knew that she was gonna say that, but I was like, hmm, hmm, yeah. Let me let me give 2004 a little too much credit. So here's right. here's my thing. I don't read Alex at all as bi. Mm-hmm. I read her as straight, like a lesbian, <laughs> because like my thing is remember like. A straight lesbian? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> time, what you're saying is, my, my, my friends were making fun of me because one time I was so tired I couldn't remember the term lesbian. I was just like, the all women couple. <laughs> the all women couple! <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like my husband's like, lesbian's like, that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because <laughs> like, my thing is just like, I feel like she is so uninterested in dudes, like, that she won't even bother pretending. Like, when um, Jay's like, here, get me, like, some popcorn, she's like, give me 20 bucks. Right. She's like, I will not even bother to waste one iota of my feminine wiles. I will not (laughs) indulge you in this narrative you're trying to create. Yeah, like... I think think that she's... I, I, I always read her as bi, but also, like, I understand what you're saying, because based on, like, what she's got to work with, like, you might as well only date one of the girls. Yeah, that's the because thing. Because all, all of the dudes at Degrassi are trash. It's so fucking true. The fact that, like, this show did not just devolve into all the girls dating each other... Like, I, I don't know, like, I would not have that restraint as a writer. I would, like, I would just be like... <laughs> Here, Donnie, you can help write this episode. And be like, wait, we didn't mean that you would, that would mean that you would just put all the girls together. And I'd be like, you know, yeah. You know what's funny is we must think Emma is such, such trash because we never ship her with anyone. Well, for, for back in the day, we did discuss the merits of season one, Manny, uh, Manny and Emma, but that, that ship sailed and sank so long ago. At also, also, Emma is the straightest character on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's she's the Cyclops. <laughs> no, like, no, I definitely see it. She like Cyclops is the least queer X Man. Um, she she doesn't consider other people's opinions. She doesn't care about other people's comfort levels. Um, she's not very kind, and as we know, that's a gay trait. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, if, nothing, if nothing else, those those dolphin pants. I mean, come on. If no, if, that was the gayest thing about her. If nothing else, when this that's po- a good point, actually. If nothing else, when this podcast, I want our legacy to be the line: "Kindness is a gay trait." I really hope so. But um, that should the, be a T-shirt, guys. That yeah. should be a T-shirt. We I. Maybe someday. <laughs> on the front, it just says, I hope I can make it through. And on the back, it says, kindness is a gay trait. I... Those are two vastly different ideas. Right. 
Um, anyway, back to the plot. We're in Marco's kitchen, and he's trying to make a plan with his mother. Um, and they're trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that Marco might potentially be outed during the assembly. And his dad may hear. And he's like, you know, uh, we could lie about the event and be like, oh, it's students only. Um, and then, you know, they both are kind of like, oh, I don't know about that plan. She's like, would you lie to him? Like, you would lie to your father. He's like, ugh. And then he's like, well, maybe Alex is bluffing. Um, and, oh, she's, she's just trying so hard because she's just like, she's just like, it breaks my heart that people could say these things about you because you're, pause, five, four, three, two, one, gay. The, the transcript says it breaks my heart that... I didn't write it directly. <laughs> I did not write directly. Sorry, well, yeah, but just, because I feel like it's a different tone. Um, Go for it. It says it breaks my heart that people, that because you are gay, these people will hate you. Yes, but her pause of gay is really what I wanted to drive home. <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, my child has come out in se- the past 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I do f- I do feel Paige made a very good point. Like, she's trying to, like... Yeah, and, and, you know, she is coming from a culture that, you know, it's just, it's a fucking battle. Like, I, I was not the only gay person in my family, but... He was not allowed to ever bring his partner to parties, so he was just known as the eccentric, like, extended family member. Like, that's kind of the culture that, that's more of, like, multiple generations in, but, like, I'm sure it's a kind of similar situation where if she had anybody in the family that was potentially also LGBTQ, either A, she was never told about it, or B, everyone, it was like an open secret, but nobody was going to talk about it, because why would you in this culture? So, like, she's... She's dealing with something that she does not have very much reference in, especially because Mark, like you know, Marco is just going about it probably drastically differently than any family member or anybody that she's probably met with this information. Yeah. But um, Dad comes comes tearing in, asking about how the poster about the posters. Marco was just like, hey, um, so I'm going to drop out because I talked to the other president and I don't want my grades to be bad. And you know I don't want my grades to be, you know, you don't want my grades to be bad. And his dad, in typical Italian dad fashion, is like, I didn't fucking have a quitter. You're not fucking quitting. You made a commitment, kid. I'm projecting a lot of my childhood trauma onto this episode and I'm sorry. That's fine. Um, and... I have a magnet on my, um, on my refrigerator that says, I couldn't afford a therapist, so I started a podcast. That... I'm doing both. I'm doing okay. As am I. I'm doing both. (laughs) But, and the other one... Well, you know, Donnie, I hope you can make it through. I hope I can, too. And the other one just says, um, my only crime is that I was down to clown. Good. Good. Levels. Um, Is that an insane clown posse, uh... Insane clown posse magnet. It, it actually has birds on it. So it Fucking like, miracles! Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Oh god. I'm sorry. Um, Welcome back to Down to Clown, the Insane Clown Posse podcast. <laughs> I'm here with Donnie and Frank, and uh, we're discussing miracles. We are. Where are the ju- where? What is the Juggalo presence on Degrassi? 
Where is the uh, Unfortunately, open? none, but there should be. Clearly. Is it just Spinner? Oh, no, he would be. Oh, no. Yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. How how could I forget? Susie and I. Wait. I'm sorry? But then, but wait, then if he's a juggalo and Manny reads leftist teen Vogue, then they would be friends. Yeah. Yeah. That works for me. That's a power couple. That is. That that's is. A, that's a pra- that's a praxis power couple. <laughs> um, anyway, Marco, after kind of hearing his dad say this to him, he just kind of walks over toward his mom, and they hug each other, and man, you can tell they're both in over their heads. God, I feel for them. But, you know, they're literally holding on to each other against the dark. Yeah, they are. The dark being Marco's dad. Yeah. We go back to that library classroom area. Alex is entering with Jay. Um, She has put a tied-up collared shirt in front of, like, over her usual tank top. It is tied up and gives a little cropped effect. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think she's been in one outfit yet that hasn't... They're like a line of midriff. It's, yeah, it's a good look though. Yeah, it, no, it's I'm not such saying, a good look. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to body shame her. I'm not trying to close shame her. It's a good look, but I'm just like that's it. <laughs> that's all she's got. She, it, it is literally the Iron Man power. Is the Iron Man armor of looks where she's just like, I wear this, put something over it. Yep. We're done. Yep. Um, also, that's definitely not allowed, right? Um, like clearly, that's against dress code, even in public school. But no, but none of the teachers are going to call her on it because they don't feel like fighting that battle. I mean, Manny's also wearing pretty cropped looks. Oh, that's in, a good point. In Degrassi, it seems like the only time a student has gotten dress coded has been because Liberty actively reported Manny for her outfit. No, well, that's considered. They could also just have looser dress code. Well, the thing is with dress codes is you are at the hands of the teacher. Like, there's a lot of issues with dress codes that, quite frankly, we do not have time to talk about. Well, I'm, I'm not... There's I, so much bias. Yes. And I, like... I understand that, but what I'm saying is just, like, maybe Degrassi is just like, yeah, we pick our battles. Yeah, yeah. In the case of Manny, she was called out because because Liberty specifically reported it to Radich. Yeah. It was it was not like he was coming down the line in the spring season, like, you know, giving you know, giving detentions left and right. Yeah. Was that was that the Thong episode? Yes, yes, it was. It had to be. It had to. I knew it. I was of like, yeah, course. it's got to be that episode. Of that course. infamous episode. You got the look. Um, yeah. Uh, as, she, and as Alex enters with Jay, um, she says that she's going to barf. Jay is like, are you, like, being serious with this whole entire thing? And as they are talking, Marco approaches Alex. Um... And asks if she's serious about potentially outing him. Um, and the reason why is because he points out the fact that, like, she has a real shot. And Jay just dismisses it. He says, save it for Sauve. And Alex, as she's walking away with Jay, she turns back. And, you know, you can tell, in case you didn't already notice, like, how serious she is being about this whole entire situation. Yeah. Um, and Jay's obviously not supportive of it. Um, and then we go to the assembly, and Alex makes, honestly, a really good speech, um, where she's just kind of talking about how alienated 
she and other students felt because they do not feel they, they, they do not have access to the school functions as they are and have been last year. She, you know, she's speaking to the economic disadvantages that some kids have and how they can't afford going to certain events, how, and now that's not fair for them. Um, and as she's kind of mounting this speech, she's getting very passionate about it. She wants this to be nothing like last year and basically be like, look, there are no events unless you, like, change things. Yeah. And I think that's a, not a bad position for a kid to have. Because I have seen schools rally behind this idea and effectively reduce prom ticket prices and things like that. So, like, yeah, she's a rough-around-the-edges take on it. But the ideology is something that has worked in other schools. Yeah. And I, I just really love how sincere she's being. So when she actually gets to the point that she says, hey, are you going to vote for the freak? Or, you know, she, you can tell she's kind of weighing her options. Marco is just kind of resigned. And she goes, are you going to vote for the pretty boy? <laughs> and I love Alex. Yeah. She's, she is a good kid. I really do it's, like It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, gay solidarity. Yeah. She's, she's, Queer solidarity. She's learning. She's, she's, uh, she's going through it, you know? She's, she's on a path and it's not the same path that Marco is on. She's. She's learning and growing, and I love her. Um, Radish introduces Marco. As Marco uh, gets up, he actually says that he agrees with a lot of the points that Alex is making, and as he's starting his speech, Dylan enters and takes a seat. Um, and as Marco is going through his speech, uh, Jay eventually takes matters into his own hands and does the old coffin the word queer during a moment of quiet. Um, and Alex is clearly pissed off that this happened. Um, Radich scolds him about it. Um, and Marco tries to kind of twist it into his position. Um, which is interesting because he takes it and kind of runs with the use of queer to reiterate being different. Yeah. And twists it in a way that he suggests that you could he could use the strangeness, the weirdness, the freakishness to allow Degrassi to reach a level of freakish harmony. Yeah. This is a direct quote. The, the thing about his speech, though, and kind of my problem with this uh like election thing overall is one it's not really clear uh until the speech point like what their positions are on anything and also how much power they really get uh yeah. and then after alex's speech he kind of just hijacks the same thing like he just goes yeah that thing she said it's pretty good i would do that seems good it's weird. I don't know. Student body presidents and student elections and stuff like that, it's always weird. It's always such a toss-up because I feel like there's, like, two different types of candidates. There's a kid who doesn't take the shit seriously and understands they have no power. JT. Yeah, yeah, and they just kind of fucking whatever it. Um, and then there's the kids who sincerely believe that they can, they have the power to change things and want to change things. Actually, there's also a third party, which is... 
the kids who know that they're not smart enough to make a valedictorian or salutatorian speech during election, but during um, during graduation, but still want to make a speech. There's that kid too, but they usually run their senior year. Um, and then that person wins because of cult of personality. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, there's. I feel like this episode could have became a bigger discussion about. Like, I just feel like there were a lot of moments in this episode that could have been extended out and maybe either should have been split into a two-part episode or should have been split into two different A-plots that happened in two different moments. Because I think that Marco and Dylan in two different emotional spaces is something that should have been explored more. And I also feel like this legitimate idea of platforms and this legitimate tension that is happening when with class in this in this student population also would have been interesting as well. And like this idea of Marco having to, I feel like if done in the right hands, it could have been an interesting thing to just be like, hey Marco, yeah, okay, you're marginalized, but guess what? Like you still have privilege. And that could have been a really valuable lesson to have that I think that media in general is still really struggling with addressing. But I feel like it was very, both of these ideas were just not quite explored at the level they could have been just because of the, the lack of time it just kind of felt like yeah yeah and that's kind of Degrassi's thing though is a lot of like kind of surface level lip service to certain ideas but then uh, not always finding a way to meaningfully deep dive into those issues exactly um, and, and partly because the these characters are never truly centered, right? Exactly. That's a huge way to prevent that concept from being properly explored. So, it's, yeah, this could have been something a little broader, but also maybe they didn't want to go as hard on, like, the idea of, like, a student election because that was, like, a major plot point that they had in the early part of the series. I don't know. Who knows? I'm not in that fucking writing room, and I don't have a time machine. Anyway, <laughs> um, after Marco makes the speech, everyone cheers. Dylan smiles. Spinner has like the fucking like little streamer popper <laughs> thing, um, and we go to Liberty making the video announcement, and it turns out. That the results are that Marco wins. Marco got 321 votes. Alex got 209 votes. I really want to know how many kids go to Degrassi and how many kids wrote weird shit in the ballot to vote for. <laughs> oh, great. Please, who got, like, who who did people nominate? Which fictional and or celebrity-like so figure? Somebody just wrote in the future goes to Harambe. Right? Like, what was what was 2004's Harambe equivalent in these elections? I don't remember. But... <laughs> anyway, Alex is like, okay, I'm out. And she tries to leave, and Marco stops her and explains that he gets to pick a VP, which makes no goddamn sense, because I feel like vice presidents usually run as well. Um, but whatever, sure. And Alex says, like, you know, I don't play well with others. And Marco's like, no, I get it. Like... I think your point of view is really important, and I think that it's, you know, necessary, and he really is just like, you know, I really need you to be here to make this work. I need an enforcer. Yeah, basically. And she's just like, okay, like, okay, so we meet on, like, Thursdays, 
And he's just like, yep, we do. And I was really happy to see this alliance formed. Queer solidarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I texted Donnie in all caps, Superstar Tag Team. <laughs> Truly. It made me really happy. Um, and then after that happens, after that alliance is formed, Dylan appears. Um, they walk outside. And Dylan is just like, you know, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and they, uh, and Marco is just like, hey, like, I really liked having you here. Um, and th he talks about how good he feels and how he reminds him that he came out to his mom. Um, and then he explains, like, look, and he sets, like, a really hard boundary here, which I really appreciate, which is just like, yeah, I came out to my mom. I'm not fucking ready to come out with my, to my dad. Like, not yet. Like, it's not, not happening right now. Um... And Dylan says that he'll have to tell, but when he's ready, which I always feel weird about, because like, I like I mean, Pierce, you you, you say yourself you're not you're not out to your family. Like I know other people who like that is not on their agenda at all to come out to their parents for for yeah. many different reasons because of familial com uh, connections, societal cultural connections like people have their own personalized reasons why they don't want to and i understand that that doesn't mean everyone would want to date somebody who is who is doing that who is under those circumstances but at the same time like you still gotta respect that boundary that boundary is set like they have sure. to adjust down I mean, that time i mean it's definitely been something that's been a point of contention in relationships that i've been in but you know it's also i don't know it's like uh a uh, weird thing. Like, I'm out to so much of my family that is mm -hmm. not the adults in my family, if that makes sense. Like, the yeah. my aunts, my uncles, my parents, my grandmother, that kind of thing. But, like, my cousin, uh, just like whatever, whatever brothers I told. So, the thing I don't like about Dylan making that sort of drawing that, like, like saying that, is, like, he's in college and he's asking a high school kid to do this thing that, yeah. like, one, I don't really think they should be dating in the first place. Um, but two, I guess there's only like two queer people in this whole show, so <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. And it's also having him be a college student um, allows the writers to not have him around all the time. But like, yeah, it's just super weird and kind of, I, it's kind of gross. I get why it exists, but yeah, it's kind of well, gross. I feel like it also goes back to like how different it is being LGBTQ in college because I feel like like you have a, there's a level of, of almost like, I mean, there is a level of privilege to go to college, point point blank. But there's also sure. a level of privilege to be able to be away from your home and be able to kind of express yourself as an individualized person 24-7, as opposed to, like, when you're in high school and, you know, you may have a public space or the space at the school where you can be, be more like yourself, quote-unquote, and then you have to kind of create a persona or go back into the closet or whatever it is because you're with your family and you need to be safe. Yeah. And it's just, totally. some, it's something that just is not quite touched upon in this episode. And I really wish it was because I think that it would make their tension come off way more, I don't know, way more of like an issue and, and a model for kids to keep in mind. Because I think that you know, when when a partner, like, I feel like a lot of relationships kind of decay in this way when, when a partner goes to college because it's just you are at two different points in your life between the two. Totally. And I 
think that the show that uh, I, we may have talked about this before. I think it's South of Nowhere. Oh has, yeah. Like one, one of the main characters is queer, like pretty much right off the bat. And yes. She ends up having a similar storyline. Not 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 similar in that there's an election or anything, but like a similar sort of coming out storyline that uh, maybe gets handled slightly better because at least she's a main character. So we kind of get to live with her dealing with this a little bit more than we do. Also, that cast is smaller. so It's true. um, But I guess similar similar era of the end television shows. God. Um, South of Nowhere was a fever dream. Like, I tried to explain it to Gwen, somebody who had never watched it before, and then (laughs) when we turned it on, Gwen's like, what the fuck? And I was just like, yeah, no. So weird. This is this was a show I watched when I was a teenager. Like, it was a time. But I do think that, yeah, it had brought up the issue. I think South of Nowhere is very hit or miss for various reasons, but I think it was really... I think it was trying to explore this in a way that really tried to get more at the complexities of the topic. Yeah, for sure. Um, but as after they have this exchange... Marco's parents approach, they ask, um, you know, um, Marco's dad asks about what Jay said, um, and Marco's just like, well, I guess queer must have been, like, the worst thing he could come up with, and, you know, this was just dirty politics, um, and Marco's mom is just, like, affirming to him that she's so proud, and then she, like, kind of, like, looks at Dylan, (laughs) and... I don't know, there's this, like, little connection that she's trying to build with Dylan, which is very sweet, actually. Like, regardless of how you may feel about Dylan or his relationship with Marco, there is something, you can tell that his mom is fucking trying and trying to work at a pretty fast rate with this. Like, she's not just kind of like, oh, I know this information, I'm going to drop it, and I'm going to pick this up in a month. Like, she's trying to actively make sense of this and also respect the fact that there is somebody in his life that he cares about very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very sweet. And then Dylan and Marco watch his parents leave, and that's where the freeze frame is. And that's the end of the episode. Yay! So, rating. A minus. This move, this episode moved along at a clip. I like the fact that they did not give Emma a redemptive arc. <laughs> or any kind of redemption. It's just Liberty's fucking pissed at her, and like Emma's gonna have to deal with that fact. Yep. Um, I liked... Uh, Marco and Alex's conflict, even if I didn't agree with what Alex was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, I it, I barely... F- like, some episodes dragged, this one just skipped along, and by the time I was like... Before I knew it was over. Yeah, this episode I really liked as a kid. I feel like my feelings about it are a little more complicated now, but I think a lot of it does have to do with the fact there was more LGBTQ media. So there's more, like, stuff we can kind of reference with some of these concepts. But at the time, it really worked for me as a kid. I think it still, though it has issues, it still works fairly well. So, yeah, yeah, I remember watching this episode an obscene amount as a kid. But I think that was because I watched every Marco-centric episode, like, way too many times. Yeah. Um, Shall we move on to character rankings? Yep. Okay. Um... Mrs. Del Rossi is moving on up for just trying to be there for her son. Mr. Del Rossi, until you can up- accept your son, you're moving on down. Spinner for trying to help Marco's campaign, for, you know, showing enthousi- enthusiasm. 
the prospect of Marco being the president, you're moving on up. Uh, Paige, you know, just gonna stay where you are. Very high levels. Marco, also, just stay around with Paige. Um, Manny, for fucking stabbing Emma in the back. Mm-hmm. Moving on up. Liberty for telling Emma to go to hell. Moving on up. Chris, uh, you can stay where you are. I don't, um, you can move up a little bit for seeing Liberty's worth. Um, Emma, you're moving on down for being a shit heel. <laughs> um, Jay, moving on down for being a homophobic shit heel. Um, Dylan, Dylan. Eh, he's going down for putting pressure on Marco. Um, and Alex, Alex, you're the new rising superstar. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I think that's it. Nice. And Pierce, obviously you're a veteran, so I know that your rankings are a little weird, but I don't know if you had any character statements to make right now. Um, I don't know. Not not particularly. I wish... I don't know. I, I, I like this. I, I like this episode. I, I feel like maybe my comments made it seem like I didn't, but... Uh, I, I like this episode because I think to especially for the time mm-hmm. there was so little and and so overall it's like pretty positive and kind of realistic like this feels real which I think is what Degrassi's going for right is like exactly. some level of realism kind of dialed up but like some level of realism and like this it's like a convoluted reason for for the whole coming out thing but it's at least trying to be like, well, this is a situation I guess these kids would get into. Maybe you wouldn't get into it exactly like this, but this is realistic and, like, true to who these characters are, at least. And so, like, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it, you know, there's some bumps along the way. Uh, uh, but uh, for 2004, I think, like, we were doing okay with this. You know, if, I think if you were struggling with stuff and you got to see this, and it, it, it was the kind of thing that, could make an impact and as soon as i saw we were doing this episode i was like oh i remember this episode yeah entirely. exactly i also saw it a bunch of times and like because also like marco is one of the first queer characters that i ever really one of the first queer teenagers that i ever saw on tv um because i was aware of like queer adults on tv uh, mm-hmm. so that was very cool so overall pretty good you know things that could be better obviously that's our favorite thing to do. I think when I when I show up on the show is to is to think about how we would have written them better. But uh, overall, pretty pretty good episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we can move on to recommendations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I will plug my own article. I have an article about Marco in representation um, on Palm Mac called uh, "Making It Through Marco Del Rossi." Um, which talks a little bit about his character. Whatever. Okay, freelancing is tough. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I was sorry. I was giggling at the fact that I sent this to my mom and sister. I was like, look, look, I mentioned this article that my friend Donnie wrote. <laughs> or I was like, look at this article my friend Donnie wrote. And like, are you the friend? I was like, yes, I am, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mother. That is true. Um, but it talks a little bit about revisiting Marco in 2019 and how he still resonates with me. Um, and I also have a review coming up on Palm Mag, which is probably going to be up by the time this episode goes up, called Wishing Non-Binary Readers 
all the best, um, which is my official review about I Wish You All the Best, which is by Mason Deaver, which is features a non-binary character coming out to parents and having to deal with the fallout of that. So if you are looking for a 2019 coming out narrative, um, I would recommend this. It does, it's not, it's kind of hard to read it in parts. Um, it is not a happy coming out, but I do think that it hits, it, it does that part well, and also the romance in it is absolutely wonderful and delightful. So I think it balances itself very, very well. Um, and also we have tons of LGBTQ recs. If you go through our backlog, you will, I feel like pretty much anything I recommend has something in it for the most part. So I would also listen to some of our older LGBTQ-centric plot episodes and you will find some recommendations. I mean, I think the thing I, I recommended last week, the other, I think I recommended Doom Patrol last week. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Pierce, do you have a recommendation? Uh, uh, so we talked about this a little bit. I don't, um, uh, off air, but I don't think I have, like, a specific great, like, parallel sort of coming out, um, recommendation. Uh, I, I, I I second that Doom Patrol recommendation in either comic book or TV format, uh, because Danny the Street is a is an icon. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and negative man too. I would. Oh, true. Yeah. Negative man as well. Uh, although I don't think he's queer in the comics as far as I remember, but so on the show, definitely. Um, uh, and Matt Bomber. Hello. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. I guess in terms of like showing more representation of queer people that aren't just coming out narratives though, um, stuff like John Cameron Mitchell's short bus, Pose, which is on FX uh, right now. Uh, <laughs> please watch Paris is Burning. It's on Netflix, the remastered version of it. Um, if you have the Criterion channel, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is on there. Well, that is a very imperfect film. This uh, is the second episode we've referenced Hedwig and the Hang Angry Inch yeah. in some capacity. <laughs> It just got a, a complete, like, Criterion remaster with a whole bunch of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. So if you have Criterion Collection Channel, um, you know, you can watch that, and there's a whole bunch of things. I, again, I, I think it comes from a very specific perspective, that being John Cameron Mitchell's, which is uh, very privileged and cis, and, and that's it's flawed. Um, but as that being something that I watched right around the time you know, for the first time, right around the time that I watched this episode, maybe a year before, maybe a year after, maybe the same year. I mean, within that, me being 14 to 16 years old, and uh, it's definitely something that stuck with me. So um, I, 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 conflate, I conflate some of that queer media because I, I kind of um, watched it all at the same time. Uh, and then, oh, I guess the only other thing, uh, uh, Velvet Goldmine, has like a, a coming out narrative to it that is specific and weird um, and not also not great. Um, this is and also me so nostalgic though. Like you're listing everything that I've like had yeah, icons of on I mean, Live Journal. Queers of a certain age, right? You know, right. Uh, the early 2000s being a time when we were sort of grasping at straws and couldn't find things. So. You kind of look for anything, and, and yeah. those were sort of uh, things that were um, influential for me. 
uh, as influential as Marco being a character on Degrassi. So um, mm. while I don't think that I relate to any of these things in the same way that I did when I was a teenager, um, they still are kind of near and dear to my heart, even if I can see all the flaws in them. Yeah, exactly. Um, with that said, Pierce, you've made it through. Hey, I did it again. Yay! Are there ways that people can check out your stuff or continue the conversation with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter quite frequently at P.E. Lightning, uh, uh, and that's on Twitter and also Instagram, I guess. Uh, I have a new band that we're recording right now. We're called Power Trash. Hell yeah. Uh, we're at Power Trash 69 on Twitter. We don't have... Oh, and... Uh, powertrash.mp3 on Instagram. We do not have a Facebook. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hit me up. I like talking about all this junk. Have me on your show. If you've got a show, I can talk about pretty much anything. Uh, I write a lot for Newsrama, do comic book reviews. I'll be going to San Diego Comic-Con in July, so I'll be doing a lot of live blogging. I'll be at New York Comic-Con as well. Uh, so if those are places you'll be, you want to say hello, just reach out. Let me know where you are, and we'll say we'll hang out. We'll grab some coffee or something. Uh, that's me. Yay. Um, if you want to keep in touch with the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Feel free to send any questions, comments, concerns, any potential texts or um, audio clips that have to do with that you would like to talk about your relationship with the show, as well as any interest in guest appearances. We are in season four. Always operate as if we have at least a two-episode queue. So if there's anything that you want to be on that's kind of urgent, please send out that email as soon as possible. We also have social media that you can follow us on, including our Twitter at iHopePod, as well as our Facebook group called I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are a couple ways you can do it. We have a review challenge. Once we hit 20, we're going to go back into the Degrassi archives to check out Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. Thank you so much, everyone, who's posted a review so far. We are getting there. So please continue. Um, we also have a coffee account. Any money that we make through our coffee account goes toward tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. And yes, in case you do not know, you are offered to be compensated for appearing. Um, if you'd like to keep in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Oh, I don't have another... I don't have a Twitter, but I do have a podcast <laughs> called Teen Girl Talk. Um... It's where my sister and I do reviews of all kinds of um, teen media, uh, movies, books, and TV shows. Uh, the week this comes out, we'll have just done Logan, um, which I swear there's teens in. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, so you can check those out. Really, really stretching the uh, definition of teen media. There's teens at the end. At the end? <laughs> It's rated R. Teens can't even go see that movie. Uh, later teens can. Seventeens okay. year yeah. olds can. All right, okay, okay. I mean, we just did Ma. That's all teen. Oh, boy. Which is a movie I was very much on the side of Octavia Spencer's character. I mean, that seemed like I would be, too. Yeah, well. Anyway, everybody. We hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye. Bye. I have stood here before inside the